podcast listeners, welcome to episode 32 of Misfits. This is where I speak to the rebels, the outliers, unconventionals in Singapore, try to see things how they see it and to learn from them. So some of these individuals include many CTO from the 18th Chef. We have Taking Soon, who's architect behind the iconic People's Park Complex, Adrian Pang, and a whole lot more. And today, we have someone special on the show. His name is Daniel Lim. Daniel Lim is an entrepreneur and business coach. His coaching and training practice aims to help people to redefine success, build businesses, and to do the work which is aligned with their values and purpose. You can see how I'm excited to introduce you to this guest. <laughs> Daniel's former design studio, Studio MDS, have worked with clients such as Capel Hotel, Singapore Flyers, and the National Heritage Board. In 2017, he designed and ran a retreat called How to Human for the Design Singapore Council. In this conversation, we spoke about the stories of how Daniel got to his burnout, toxic behaviors in the workplace, uh, characteristics of people who should not be an entrepreneur, and so much more. So I really enjoyed this conversation with um, Daniel, and I really hope you do too. So without further ado. All right, okay. All right, man. All right. Wow. Thank you so much for taking your time. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh my God. So when I was researching on you, it seems like I found a kindred, kindred spirit, you know. I think, you know, you and I are multi-passionate in many areas of our life. Maybe we can start off with this question, right? Um, over the years, people must have asked you the age question of like, what do you do? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and what I, I think what would be interesting as a primer to the interview is maybe in chronological order, mm-hmm. answer that, that question and then pack an H to uh, wow. uh, yeah, the label. Wow, where do we start? I, I'm really multi-passionate and I think the ideas come faster than I can execute them. So I think that, you know, I'm always coming up with something new and always trying something new and I'm not afraid in trying and experimenting and when things fail, I, I don't mind shutting them down as well. And even when things work, I don't mind shutting them down as well. It's just to what I call scratch and itch and I've got so many itches developing all the time. I'd say with CPM, you know, very restless. Yeah. And I guess this is a blight and also a blessing for someone who is like, has a very active brain and is like, the creative juices just keeps flowing. And... Uh, for me, I I know that when you are in a creative zone, it is very important for you to actually not sit on it for too long yeah. because if if it doesn't materialize or you don't act on it, this creative juice is going to find somebody else. It will leave you. So it's a way, it's also, I'm, I'm kind of like in a formal zone a little bit. Sometimes when I feel that the idea is really good, I, I just feel that it's a waste if I don't work on it. So that's the reason why I work on so many things. Um, and also, I'm, I'm a Gemini, and I get very, very um, bored very easily and very quickly. So I always need to have something exciting and new to try in my life. So that's just part and parcel of me. This is my DNA. So what I've done was, um, well, wow, where do I even begin? Even hey, as the a first kid, time, the first label you give yourself and how old? You know, I'm that kind, even in school, huh? I have four or five different ECAs kind, you know. So I, I don't even know where to start. I've been like that since young. Like one is not enough, two, not enough, three, also not enough. Let's just try four. Oh my God, maybe five, you know. So in, in secondary school, I was in Hua Yue Tuan, okay. I was That's in Chinese orchestra, Chinese orchestra yeah, okay. right. And I was very good at it, right. And then I was in track and field, lest you think that I'm the very cultural kind. Then I was also in storytelling, Xiang Sheng Pisai. I was also a student counsellor. I was in English drama, Chinese drama. I was a student counsellor as well. That's eight for you already. And class monitor, nine. Wow. Then whatever contests there are in school or 
uh, to represent our schools, especially when it's storytelling or Xiangsheng Bisai or drama, I will always volunteer and I will just do it. I was so active, right? So in fact, I think that my studies, my studies was part-time, but my ECA was more full-time. But I, I'm very glad that um, I, I have that inbuilt in my bones because um, I feel that is part of the entrepreneurial streak um, that I didn't know I had you know, about having different kinds of ideas and working on an idea that you're passionate about and just exploring and being really very curious. So in school, lots of ECAs. When I went out to work, uh, my, I only had two desk jobs, right? The first one was with Mediacorp Television. Um, I led the interactive department. Uh, it was a totally brand new department because at that point in time, uh, the dot-com was so new Nobody knew what the heck was happening, even for a traditional uh, media company, right? But it was a new form of medium, right? And I, I kind of was the one who knew the most about internet. So even though I was really very junior, my responsibilities were huge. So I managed uh, a group of writers. We were creating websites for Art Central um, and Kids Central and things like that. So that was that. Didn't stay long. Two years I left. Then I went to join the Hopa Villa Redevelopment Project uh, because I am uh, very old school and I have a lot of heart for heritage in Singapore. And at that time, it was very sacrilegious that they were contemplating on the idea of tearing down the whole Hopa Villa to build condominiums, okay? So this is typical Singapore, right? So I was like, no, 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 we got to save this like treasure, you know? The heritage. Uh, this heritage, you know? Please don't squander it off like that. This is so unique. I mean, it's kind of wacky and weird place, but it has so much character, you know? Um, potential. Potential, right? And then because the government didn't know what to do with that place, you know, it's just a quaint place, right? So I went in there um, also... Mm, so I always say people... tell people, When they ask me where I work, I say I work at Ten Courts of Hell. <laughs> you know, the dragon and then the Ten Courts of Hell inside, right? Yeah, but I had a great time there because I was the youngest punk. And then all the people who were there were like old uncles, old aunties, like even the artisans, the uncle. Um, lunchtime was always very fun because it's communal. We will gather at the beer garden canteen and then we will all eat. Uh, okay, so anyway, that was my second desk job. Then, then after that, uh, that was when my entrepreneurial thing kicked in, right? Um, I had a chance to help a friend build a boutique day spa. Um, and I was very, very involved. I, I wasn't like the boss or anything. Uh, but in the process of that, we actually pumped in money of our own. And um, that experience turned out to be really good because it was my first taste of building something from scratch. But it was also very painful because that person that I helped and worked with eventually turned out to be a professional con woman. And I lost close to $300,000. And then what happened was just uh, six months of depression uh, because um, I felt like the business went pear-shaped not because we didn't do a good job, but because of the situation and the context and the environment. And th at a point in time, when I felt very victimized, I still didn't know my friend was a professional con woman because uh, she sold a different story to me why the business failed. Long story short, um, because I got so excited about building things from scratch, I knew I didn't want to go back to the cubicle and work for someone else. Mm -hmm. That was when the entrepreneurial DNA got like woken up, right? And I went like, what can I do on my own, right? Since I don't want to go back to the cubicle. So that was when I decided to look at what am I good at? What am I passionate about? 
uh, what am I willing to suffer for? What am I willing to just, even if I can just merely survive and pay the bills, uh, I'll be happy in the doing every day. And the answer was, oh my God, web design. So that was how I decided to start my own web design business. One man bandwagon. Magic mushroom. Oh my God, you do your research. What are you talking about? Oh my God. Uh, oh my God, you do your research. So, oh my God. Yeah, you're good, man. Magic mushroom. It was very funny, you know, sidetrack. Uh, people would call and ask me if I actually sell magic mushroom, like psychedelics. <laughs> really, I'm not kidding. They would call and say, hello, uh, do you sell that kind of mushroom? Huh? Then I said, no. Um, like, you said, yeah, but you like that color, color. I said, yeah, my, my design is very colorful. <laughs> but I don't, sell psychedel- I don't sell psychedelics. Anyway, uh, I started from there. Um... If you want to ask me about the first job that I got, and, and we can then, talk about that later. And, and but then, what what do you uh, like? If someone would, um, if you would answer the question, what of, do I do, right? Yeah, how do you tell people? What do you tell people? Well, in the past, well, the thing is, what I do is still ever morphing, right? Now, if I were to tell you what I'm doing again, like a whole roller decks of a list of things I'm doing, how to define who I am. So I call myself a serial entrepreneur. I came up with this. Um, this term called serial entrepreneur, but it's also a take on the fact that I do things serially. I always come up with new ideas, but the word serial is spelled C-E-R-E-A-L, as in the breakfast cereal, my pin. So people will go like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what do you mean by serial entrepreneur? And then I was like, I would be like, okay, I do things for the love of it and not for the money. Which means this this whole term is big enough to, for me to contain so many different ideas. I'm not defined by that one idea that I do, whether like whether it's content publishing or panoramic imaging that I do or UX and UI design, which I do also. And now I'm doing post-personal coaching and I'm doing corporate retreats as well. When did you come out with that term? Last year. Oh. Last Why? Year. And before that, what was, what was it? Before that, I will always uh, tell people, oh my God, I do so many different things. I do this, I do this, I do this. I run business in this, this, this. So I will have to say a few items on my list, lah. Like a short form version. And really, it depends on who you're talking to. You know, if, if that person is gravitates towards certain kind of businesses which you run, then you tell them more about that, right? And then what happens is they'll be like, oh my God, you do so many things. Where do you find the time, you know? But these days, and what I'm trying to um, encourage other people to do also is not, when people ask you that, a proverbial question at a cocktail party, what do you do, right? It's a very dreadful question because most people will just answer, oh, I'm an engineer, I'm a teacher, I'm an architect. Right, I'm a, I'm a designer. That's the, the way that most people do it anyway. So we're kind of um, tagging what we do to our job title right, or our job scope. So what I encourage people to do these days and also I try to do is that we open up and say, creatively, if you have a creative brief in your life, what would that be? Right? What is your creative, like, bigger role that you're playing in life? So for me, the way I will... Ex- uh, I will um, uh, explain or describe what I do other than being a serial entrepreneur is I will tell people I seek to bring out the best work in people. This is what I seek. So it's very big. So people are like, oh, so what do you do? So I'm like, okay, I'm a boss. Uh, I try and encourage my guys to do their best work, you know, and also to pursue their own interests on the side as well. I always encourage them to have a side hustle. Don't give all your time to me. Really, do something else, build something else. And if you ever build something else on the side that is big enough to eclipse the work they do for me, please go. You know, so I seek to bring out the best in people. Also, when I do coaching, when I do corporate retreats, that's what I'm trying to do also. And when I write an article, when I do an interview with you, I'm sharing something that I hope will touch someone and will bring out something in them. So my bigger role in this universe is that's what I'm trying to do. And it sits so well with, it doesn't matter whether I'm doing a t-shirt 
or whether I'm writing a blog or I'm doing a retreat, I'm always trying to bring out the best in people. So that's my job title, law. That's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's dive into your childhood a little bit because that gives a lot of context on um, my childhood. Uh. Yeah. Oh my god. Do you want to uh, paint uh, me a picture of like you know how is it like growing up? I I know you share a little bit about the hard times that you know. Very hard. Yeah. Um. Oh, where do I even begin? I was born um, in a, into a very rich family. I would say one of the richest families in Singapore, probably. We own, we own properties, we own land. Uh, my dad um, used to own Porsche and Renault. Uh, we were very, very rich. Um, my dad's family, uh, they, they have always been rich, very wealthy. But my mom's side, my maternal side, they are the... Oh. <laughs> in camera. Okay, so uh, my... my um, Mom's side, they're a typical heartlander, poor, um, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and have to be very careful about expenditure and stuff. Um, and my mom um, was very lucky, met my dad and got married into the wealthy family. So life changed for her. For me, I was born into the rich family, right? My dad's side, the family is huge. They, they are like, what, maybe 20 siblings and stuff like that. And some of them are adopted. And then the siblings have kids. And then, um, big wealthy family. Okay, so what happened was, uh, I'll try and give you a very condensed version now because it's very, very dramatic. But uh, when I was 10 years old, my dad uh, committed a commercial crime and disappeared on us, the whole family. And I've never seen him ever since. I was 10. My younger brother was 5. My mom was a mere 31. So my mom has been a living widow ever since. She's never remarried. She's not divorced from my dad. Um, and uh, we became deadless like, when I was 10. Um, so what happened was we lost everything overnight. Um, and to put things into perspective, um, my dad didn't actually commit the crime itself from what I know. Okay? And the thing is that this all happened when I was very young. Uh, I didn't have the propensity to, the capability of understanding the magnitude of what went wrong. And also my mom, because she's not educated, she doesn't really, she didn't meddle with my dad's affairs and stuff, right? So she's the kind of wife who just lives her own life to care of the kids. And she didn't even really take care of us. She just dumped us at my grandmother's place. And then she will lead her soul, high soul life, you know, uh, her Thai Thai life. And so she didn't really know what the fuck went on when my dad left, right? She was quite clueless. Add to that, both kids are so small. They don't help her also. She's not educated. She doesn't speak a single word of English. Uh, the... My paternal side, the family, is just super toxic. So when this thing, whole thing happened, it took a couple of years to unravel, you know, and then the CID would come every day and how my mom and my mom would, because she has got a weak, condi- uh, weak heart condition since she was a kid, she's had multiple bypasses. She would faint every other day at home. Uh, the police didn't believe that my mom didn't know where my dad went. So the day my dad disappeared, very drama, very TCS drama series. My dad and my mom actually crossed paths on the road in their, res- in their own cars. And that was the last my mom saw of my dad. My dad actually wound down the window and said hi to my mom. That was in the day. In the evening, after she picked me up from school and deposited me at my grandmother's place, while she was at my grandmother's place, she received an ad- anonymous call. And the caller said, didn't know who the caller was, just left a message and said, 
uh, Ping Ping, who is your dad, my dad, my 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 dad's uh, nickname. Ping Ping wants to me to relay a message to you to take good care of yourself and the kids, and he's gone. So my mom thought it was a prank call. Like what the heck? I just saw my husband in the afternoon. So everything just went pear shape after that, lah. My dad really was missing. CID came, um, and lots of people came knocking on the door asking for money. So we lost everything. Uh, but the good thing was, um, I my maternal family is the typical heartlander, poor, but their hearts are so full kind, and they have got really good values kind. They're good people, so they took us in. My brother, my mom, uh, myself. And I've been brought up. Lah. So that became my home. And the reason why I didn't become so screwed up later uh, when I asked my therapist, I had a meltdown six years ago. I'm sure we're going to talk about that later. But during the recovery period, I asked my therapist, like, why is it that I was, I'm not screwed up? Like, you know, I'm, maybe I'm screwed up in other ways. But, but I wasn't a delinquent. You know, I didn't like um, mess. I mean, I'm okay. Lah. I would say that I'm doing quite well now. You know, I'm happy. So she said, the reason why you are not fucked up is because of your grandmother. Your primary caregiver was your grandmother who showed you the value and the concept of unconditional love. And she gave that to you. She nourished you. So you, you cannot be fucked up. Right? You were not abandoned. You were not forsaken. Maybe by your dad, yeah. Only. Full stop. Right? So then... Um, one thing my grandmother told me when I was growing up soon after my dad left was my, we're from what Teochew family, my, my mom's side. Um, she said, So that means without the daddy, the eldest brother becomes the daddy. So I was forced to grow up very quickly. I had to put aside myself. It just became about worrying about my mom pussyfooting around my mom, um, trying to solve problems at home, trying to be on my best behavior, trying to, to excel in everything so that I would bring my mom a sliver of joy amidst all this drama. Um, and I didn't want to make my mom any sadder or angrier or more disappointed because I felt she was a very poor thing. So that, that led to the way I was being wired. I'm a go-getter. I'm a high achiever. Uh, I'm a perfectionist. Uh, it's never good enough. How was your mom's relationship with you? Um, it's a developing one. Um, I didn't like my mom or my dad when I was young because, well, just basically they didn't care about us, right? They cared about the business and the money and the wealth and the high soul. So I spent all my time with my grandmother, even since I was baby, even before my dad left. My grandmother was my primary caregiver. Uh, my parents were so young, they didn't know how to take care of kids. Um, so I only... Okay, so the routine every week was that I would stay with my grandmother Monday till uh, Saturday. Saturday night or evening, my parents would come and pick me up. Okay? Then I would go back to that big house or uh, big houses, okay? And then I will have my own room, we have mates and stuff, and I'll be so miserable, and I'll be counting down. It's almost like trying to count down, like book out, you know, from camp, you know? 
that how miserable you just want to get out of camp, you know, when I was like doing NS. How do you feel? I felt like I didn't want to be at home with my parents. So it would be Saturday, right? And then I was try and really just go to bed and sleep as quickly as I can. Just pray that time passes as quickly as I can so I can get out of this house. I can go back to be with my grandmother. Because my grandma, it was a source of comfort. It was so comforting for me. It's a safe place, but not with my mom and my dad. But what is the contrast to your family and your, your, your grandma? How do you feel in, in, in that? Well, because my mom... Home, you know? I will tell you how my mom used to punish me, right? So, um... Okay, so anyway, okay, let's, let's finish that bit about the okay. weekend first. Saturday, I will be brought home. Then Sunday, I will wake up early in the morning. And then I will go to uh, a nice restaurant or the, the, the best eateries in Singapore. And my, my, my dad will just, whatever we want, okay, then we'll eat. After breakfast, our routine is that they will bring us to a toy shop, like a Toys R Us, right? And I can pick any item, any value, you know any value I can pick but just one item for myself and my brother he was very young then so he didn't really come up with us most of the time right so he was spared the agony la. <laughs> lucky him but then I can also pick a toy for him so two toys so that was the best part I really suffered I felt like I, I pay I pay with my suffering so that I can get the toy for myself and for my brother and then I can bring back and then we can be happy for a whole week until Saturday again so that was that. So your question was, what was the, what's the contrast between why did my grandmother bring so much comfort and solace and my dad and my mom? And why did I not like them? So basically, it's, I have very little time with them, right? My dad is a man of not only few words. Maybe he's a man of one word. Like he's monosyllabic, okay? So my dad really doesn't talk to me and he is such a stern and authoritative person. He's very fierce. He's very strict and he, it's like when he moves, the air molecules move with him kind. You know, he's like, I don't know, he's, he, he scares the shit out of me, my dad, right? But he doesn't lay a finger on me, right, on my brother. He's just stern and authoritative, right? And he will always ask things like, how are you? Now I'll be like, mm, okay. And that's it. Or, how's school? Or if I were to give him my best results in school, expecting to elicit a little bit of emotion from him, he'll be like, mm, okay. So it's very minimal contact, which makes me feel like maybe, maybe, maybe some, a stranger feels more like a friend to me than my dad, right? Add to that, he's very authoritative. I was very fearful of him. So that was my dad's side, right? My mom, okay, just to give you an idea why my mom, my relationship with my mom is not, has been rocky, uh, since I was young was my mom is the typical tiger mom if there is a tiger mom association she will be the chair lady every year okay and this is how she trained me uh. she's the wang zi chen long kind you know she wants the son to excel in everything kind and because she's tai tai she's well known then she goes because I went to elite schools and stuff right so a lot of the moms were like what does the son do what does the daughter do then they the compare notes kind of thing so I, my, my mom wants the mian zi right so she always pushed me to excel in everything not only academically but also in like I took up ballet classes as well I love dancing right um, I did organ right musically I was in Chinese orchestra all these things right but academic right my mom is the kind that punishes me for every point that I'm away from 100. Okay, so if I got 100, it's supposed to be the norm. If I get 99, I was stroke once. 98, stroke twice. 
95 stroke 5 times. Okay. Thankfully, I was an excellent student. The chances of me getting stroke in my first two years, very minimal. Because I was always getting 100, 100, 100. I was one of those very irritating students in, in, in school where, where we are given back our exam paper. And then my classmate would be like, Oh my god, oh my god, how, how, many, how much did you get? How much did you get, right? Then I'll be crying, right? Then she'll be like, then, be, then my, 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 my classmate will be very happy that like he got like maybe 89 <laughs> or, or 90. Then I'll be crying, right? Oh. Then I'll be like, oh my god, do you do very badly, you know? How many points did you get? Then I'll be like, oh, 99. I, I was very annoying. I was really annoying, but not because I wanted to annoy, but because to me, really, 99 is for me and my mom. I was, I'm really going to get it when I get home. Yeah. So this doesn't just happen for the exams. Huh? This happens for all the continual assessments, the spelling tests, the th- the things here, the assessments, everything. Exercise, anything that has got a score. When I'm away from 100, I get the caning. Add to that, my mom hired a tuition teacher to do the same, except she canes not from 100, she canes from 91 and below. Because 91 and above is A, a star. Ma. Right. Okay? So she had slightly lower standards than my mom. Ma. Okay, so, so very lucky. I, I was never caned by my tuition teacher until, until P3, there was a streaming test. I was from Nanyang Primary. Yeah. So they were trying to stream us and they set an exceptionally difficult English paper so that you can separate, you can really see the spectrum of the, the proficiency in that language, right? So what happened was, I did very badly. Like, I did the worst in my whole primary school life. I think I had like 67 or something. Like, but, but 67 on compared to the cohort? No, no, 67 as in 100. Well, but then the rest of your... Pre- See, my mom doesn't care about relative performance. Right. She doesn't. Why? Because there was once um, I had maybe like 98 or 97, okay? And when she came me, she would always... Okay, I must tell you about the ritual, huh? The ritual is my mom will drive to her sports car to my school, okay. pick me up. My mom is like a hawk, like an eagle. Uh. She will know exactly when I'm going to get back my papers one. She expects. She's like clockwork. So when she see my body language only uh, nearing the car, she will know I didn't get 100. Okay? So she'll be damn pissed off. Okay? Then she'll be like, So? Like, like very, very, like very bad, like very bad. Like. Then she said, okay? Because there's a ritual, okay? So go home, 回家 means go back to my grandmother's place. So I'll take my big bazang, right? I'll walk, walk, walk. Then my mom will be in her high heels and kick clock, kick clock, kick clock. Then a door, my grandmother will come open door, right? My grandma also knows this is a ritual, like, okay? My grandma will look at me and be like, shucks, you know, gonna get bitten again, this boy. Then I will be like crying already, you know, dreading. Then I'll go into the house. Then my grandmother will always say, can you please let your son eat first? Except I will have no appetite. I'll be crying into my mue. And then my mue, the ama, will have more and more and more. I, you know, it's like just crying, you know, and then feeling so wretched about this whole thing. And then my mom will be brooding at the curtain on a rattan chair. Uh, like that, my bigger kind, uh, very old school one, uh, rattan chair. On the wall, there will be two hooks, two canes, okay? Baby blue color, baby pink color. Pink color is mine, uh, because I'm very kunyang. So anyway, <laughs> two canes. One for my brother, one for me, okay? So it'd be a ritual. Uh, after my lunch, which I barely will eat, right? I will take the tentiao, then I will go to my mom. That is like jia fa like that, you know. Then my mom will sit. Then I will have to kneel down. I have to give her the cane. Then I have to take down my pants, my shorts. I have to turn around. Bare butt, nah. Then she will stroke. Okay. After she strokes, like ninety-seven, two san tiao lah. Okay. Then she will always ask, 
Do you know why I beat you? 你懂我打你做妈妈？做阿里斯，我知道成绩不好。OK， 所、so, 以下次要拿几分？一百分。OK， 所、so, 以 that was once ah、uh, I ninety seven ninety eight and I was the highest in class, you know. So I reasoned with my mom. I told her, I said, "Mummy, ah,、uh, she went. She she asked, ah,、uh, 我你知道我打你做什么吗 ？So I said, 你知道呃， uh, 因为我九十七七分吧，妈咪，我是全全班最高的分数。” And she, oh my God, she she was so angry. You 跟我顶嘴 She said, 你最高你可以拿几分？你管人家拿你是最高，你管你管人家比你差。Like why are you so concerned about other people doing worse than you? What is the absolute best you can get? So I said my absolute best is a hundred. Then she said, yeah. So she doubled the cane strokes multiplier effect. She said this will teach you not to talk back to me and to think that you're so 厉害 So since young, this was a this was a almost every other day event. So it is ingrained in my bones to excel, and I don't compare myself up to today. I don't care what other people are doing. Other people's misery doesn't make me feel better.、Mm-hmm. Okay,、wow. other people's success doesn't mean anything to me as well,、mm-hmm. because I'm always competing with myself. I've been trained, ingrained in my bones that it doesn't matter what the world is like. What is the best you can do is a hundred. So whenever I achieve something big or small, I don't recognize it. I don't acknowledge. It's never good enough. I don't celebrate it. I was like that. I'm different now, but I was like that. So to answer another, your back to your original question, question which was my relationship with my mom. How can my relationship with my mom be good? Because that was the only experience that you get、yes. from. She was like a disciplinarian. She was very.、Uh, she had very high demands. Right, which I could never meet consistently. Guess what? You know, I got the sixty-seven, right? So I got K multiple times, right? I went to my tuition teacher. I got K multiple times, right? So she got very. She was my tuition teacher was very happy, lah, because for once she could K me, ma. Because Nilo ninety-one, ma. She's like, hey, hey, 终于可以打你了。我打打打打打打 right. So my mom 很爱面子啊。So 她打是打屁股。But 我的补习老师 didn't know, right? So 就打打打打我的脚 ，like distribute 嘛，因为很多 K 嘛 ，right? Strokes so distributed. So what happened was. Primary school, all wear shorts, right? So another terrible story, ah.、Uh, I was the kind that my mom would put me in school by six o'clock in the morning, even before the cell phone kind open the gate. Okay, I'll hear crickets. I'll be alone and I'll cry because I was so scared of the dark. Okay, so my 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 school experience was just full of fear, basically. Um, and there was one day I went to school as usual at about six o'clock,、yeah. and then there was in nine primary school the back gate, the staircase was very very long flight of steps. So I I took my bath down. So I walk, and behind me there was someone. Okay, it was my form teacher. <laughs> my form teacher was okay at six o'clock because she came in early to mark papers that day only exceptional. Then she was like, "Eh, Wan Chou, that's my Chinese name. Wan Chou, why are you doing here so early? You know, huh?" So I said, "Every day also so early, why not?" Right? Then she said, "Oh, really?" So I started talking. Then that was when she then noticed that I had cane marks all over my legs, and she was like. What happened to you? Uh, were you very naughty or mischievous at home? So my um my my form teacher thought something was was wrong because、yeah. you know I was very obedient in school and stuff, right? Yeah. Um. So so I told her I said、uh, just matter of fact I said because I did very badly for my paper, you know, and then she said really. Then I said yeah, and then all、oh, my my tuition teacher also came in lor. So I said so, so I just matter of fact I just said oh my mom came in at my butt, but then this one is my tuition teacher. 
And she was like, okay, I need to speak to your mom. So I said, no, 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 don't want to multiply effect. I said, don't want, don't want, don't want. You know, you only let me in hot soup, you know, even further. But anyway, um, teacher spoke to my mom. My mom stopped after that because I did very well for that test in terms of the cumulative frequency curve, you know, you plot. So relative performance. My mom finally got school in the concept of relative performance. And my teacher told her once and for all, you know, when it comes to composition and 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 there is no perfect composition. We are not supposed to give hundred. So so you will always end up needing to cane him. So that's not advisable. So that's my relationship with my mom when I was young. But 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 uh, it's it's definitely gotten much better because my mom had a lot of human revolution after my dad left. So she changed, she had to look into herself, examine her life. So she's a changed person. Um, she's a very fervent Buddhist now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's very devoted. And um, my relationship with her is improving every day. And also now that I'm in my 40s, uh, I'm learning to be more expressive with my mom, appreciative. Uh, I've never harbored a single strand of animosity or anger towards my mom. The, the strange thing is when I was punished, I felt like I deserved it. Yeah, but it's just that I don't feel, if you expect me to be very pally with my mom, you know, I love my mom. I know I don't have that kind since I was young, but I don't harbor any animosity towards my mom. Wow. Yeah. So that's a very long way of explaining my, my relationship with my mom, but I think I needed to give you the background yeah. why it's, it's just full of tension since young. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I think we're going to, let's change gear a little bit and talk about uh, your entrepreneurship journey. Yes. So every entrepreneur have a start. Uh, yes. <laughs> and you seem to have a bit, a bit of a rougher start than most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe let's tell the story of how you became uh, depressed on your first entrepreneurial venture. Yeah, so, you know, we're talking about the day spa, right? It was called asparagus. Don't you think the name was really nice? We embedded the word spa in asparagus. Uh, we were... Uh, it was a trend back then. Yeah, yeah like, you no know, wordplay, word yeah, sniffing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I thought we were so smart. But it was good. Um, we were on Emerald Hill, uh, those Peranakan shop house. Uh, we really... It was a boutique day spa. And we, we specialized in Thai massage. And our masseuse were all from Thailand. Like, we really spent months sourcing and scouting for the best masseuse. And we had a great clientele. But the business barely survived more than six months. Um, and at that time, when we were when it went pear shaped, I thought that it was our landlord giving us problems, and our landlords were giving us problems because we weren't paying. Uh, they said that uh, they we weren't paying the rent. Mm. But my the, the friend whom I was helping set up the spa assured me that we are all okay financially, all, everything is paid, and that it was a landlord trying to be funny about fixing some of the problems, like you know, the roofs were leaking, water was coming in, aircon was tripping. We couldn't run a business because it's an old Peranakan. It's, right. it's not, uh, it's a, yeah, it's an old uh, building, so you have all these problems. And we wouldn't fix it. Yeah, short house. So we couldn't, they didn't want to fix it, so it became a great lock. In the end, in the end basically, they changed the lock and threw us out. Okay, but I didn't know that all this happened because really the, the payment was just very screwed up. My friend, my friend, um, her name is Evelyn, Evelyn, Evelyn. I call her Evelyn because later I realized that she was a professional con woman. So she'll be the kind that will become your friend for five years. She will play the long game. 
in the sixth or seventh year or whatever, when she sees an opportunity to kato you, and she will go as far as to set up a fake business to pay the chin. Kind. Okay, so that was what I got embroiled into. Um, and then after that, it was just a series of finding out all the different lies that she has said from multiple parties. And they are, they were, they are so out of the... They are like so far-fetched that you wouldn't even believe. Like, like for example, I'll just give you an, uh, an idea of how scary this woman is. Um, after the business went pear-shaped, yeah. um, we wanted to get some of the capital back. Right, so we said that she's because it was supposed to be a loan or something like that, lah. So anyway, she was supposed to return us the money, but the money just keep the the checks just kept having problems. So what I did was then I went to her house, right, and then I said instead of you giving me a check every month, I want you to issue twelve checks, okay, and then you just date them, you give me twelve checks, and then I'll just bank in myself. So I actually went to her house. Uh, for example, like this place, right? I, I went to her house physically. She was in the house. Uh, and then she said that that was the house. We thought that was the house, right? And she even wanted to sell me her house uh, because we were looking for a new place to buy also. So anyway, what happened was a couple of weeks later, as I was trying, I was finding out more and more of her, the lies that she spun, I was in the vicinity of her house with another friend. And I was just joking. I said, hey, anyway, Evelyn's house is just behind. I said, Scully, oh, that house is not even hers. I was just joking, you know. I was just joking. So anyway, after eating ice cream around the area, we said, hey, let's go and just drop by her place and see if she's around. Yeah. So we walk, walk, walk. So I walked to her house. Huh? The house that I was in a couple of weeks ago. Huh? I walked, then I looked. Hey, how come got people move in and out of the, the, you know, the furniture, you know? So I was looking, looking. Then there was someone in the house, looked out and said, excuse me, can I help you? So I said, oh, I said, yeah, um, I'm, you know, I'm looking for my friend, Evelyn. Then the guy stood at the door and said, um, no, she's no longer here. So I said, oh, maybe she really sold the house because she wanted to sell the house to me. Ma. So I said, oh, uh, are you the new owner? Did she sell the house to you? Then he said, no, no, I'm just a tenant. So I said, oh, so you're a tenant. So she's your landlord. <laughs> then he said, no. Then I said, what? Then I said, eh, did I get the wrong house, huh? Can I be like, I was just here, leh? Then later, she saw my, like, dumb, like, dumb fuck face, right? <laughs> and he said, um, actually, uh, I, you're looking for Evelyn, right? Uh, I, I might have some information for you, but I'm not at the liberty to tell you. Maybe you'd like to speak to my agent. So I was like, what? So, of course, he invited me in. He's a Japanese guy. Invited me in, gave me the name of the, the agent number. So I called the agent, right? So I called the agent. Then the agent say, I said, hey, I'm, I'm Dan, you know. I'm looking for my friend Evelyn. She said, Dan? Aren't you the one that always hang out with her? Uh, we're looking for her also, you know. So I was like, what happened? Then she said, uh, I said, I thought she owned the place and she sold the place. And then what happened? Then she said, no, she was a tenant. So renting. She was also renting. And then she forged paperwork and stuff. Like the gyro and everything, she forged the paperwork, and then the 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 monthly rental just never gone in, you know. And then after that, she doubled, she ran away, and then she, she disappeared, and they had to evict her. So she's never ever owned the place, but she was just a tenant. Wow. And the thing is, I then re- realized that when I look back, she serially moved places every few months. So she just went on conning. And then later when I went back to all the old addresses that I know that she stayed in, everyone said the same thing. She didn't pay rent. Hmm. 
and she will do the same thing. It's a serial, people serial entrepreneur. <laughs> She's a serial con woman. She will just do that over and over again. Okay, here's where it's scary. Huh? Then, uh, it starts with a line. So I already know that she doesn't stay there, right? So was that the point you found out and you start doubting? That was one of, oh my God, that coffin is very big, you know. There were many nails. That was just one of the nails. Then, I'm going to tell you what happened next. Two weeks later, I had a web design job and I had a meeting in the Tricom building, okay? And I went to the Tricom building uh, to meet the client. Sorry, what's the Tricom building? It's a warehouse, okay. Tricom building. It's a very big warehouse, right? So, one of the, uh, so my client was actually, she had a, an office in there. So, I went there. And as I was having the conversation, then she said, she, she let sleep that she's the daughter of the owner of the Tricom building. Okay. So then I was like, I was like, oh, so I said, so you must know Evelyn. Nah. I said, you must know Evelyn. Uh, because uh, my friend who owns the car business said that she sold the business to your dad. Okay. Evelyn has another business, which is a car sales business. Right. right. And she sold the business for three point something million. She threw a lavish party. I went to the party. I even jumped in the pool and got wet. She celebrated, ah. So guess what? And she said, no, the, my, my father never bought the business. Oh, I know who is Evelyn. I, she, my father never bought the business. Um, we were in discussion, but because of the paperwork, she couldn't supply the paperwork. Uh, so we never got a deal. So the business was never sold. And I was like, holy shit. She threw a party to say that she sold the business for 3 point something million. Mm-hmm. It was a facade. Lah. Right. Okay. So anyway, because of that, we thought that maybe we were not talking about the same Evelyn. So what she did was, she said, it's the same Evelyn. She went to take the letterhead. Uh-huh. She said, this is a company, right? So I saw the letterhead. Yes, it's a company, right? Then I scanned down. Then I see all the broken English. It's her broken English. Uh, grammatically, she's not sound. So she wrote. Then at the end, uh, I saw her signature. It was a different signature. She forged her signature. It's a different signature. She uses different signatures for different things. Mm-hmm. Then, that was when she's... So then I told this client of mine what happened about the house that I went to a couple of weeks ago I said she's no longer staying there she's very scary you know she's telling lies and things like that mm. so then my friend said uh, my client said cannot be she moved how can it be just a few days ago uh, I sent a check to that address and it was still cash mm. so she's still going to the old place that she doesn't stay she has been evicted from and retrieving mail and cashing in okay so so this is just another nail on the coffin uh. right okay then brought it up to her? Or like, no, know, uh, we never... We, we the music? No, um, in the end, what happened was we brought the whole file to CID, um, made police report and everything. They said that she's a professional con woman. She deals with cash only. Uh. She, doesn't, she doesn't carry a credit card or anything. Everything is cash. She will have $200,000 in the car glove box. That kind. She's a professional con woman. So we have all these things, but there's nothing that you can implicate her with. Oh. She, she cleaned up her, her paper trail very, very well. One. So anyway, that was uh, what happened with the first, not really a business venture, but that was the first thing I built from scratch with a friend. So it was a business. It's not like a desk job or a cubicle job. So of course, then um, because of this betrayal, um, well, I was uh, depressed for about half a year. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was very upset. Um, and... Uh, just a whole melting pot of emotions. Um, then jobless because didn't know what's happening. And at that time... And you're still finding out. Right? Yeah, I was still finding out. So it, it wasn't like, okay, business failed. I, I was depressed for six months. It was business failed. There were a lot of lies. Mm. 
And there were talks about, um, you know, doing opening another spa somewhere else and stuff like that. And then, of course, SARS hit Singapore at the time. It was a bad time to reopen a spa. So she went on and said, okay, let's, I don't want to do this anymore already. But for me, you know, I quit my Hopa Villa job to join her and things like that. So I had a lot of soul searching to do. I was angry. I was nursing a broken heart and things like that. So I was really not myself. But what I knew was I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. I only know that I didn't want to go back to the corporate world. So that took a long time. Then I became very poor. No money. <laughs> Had nothing like rock bottom. Right, because it's, down, it's a downward spiral, right? Yes, it was bad. And then until my other half decided that, you can, no, you know, stop moping around. You're so depressed. This place is bad for you. Let me extract you out and let's get away. So we went to Bali for a short holiday. How do you feel when you're in the depression? I mean, or... Wow. Um, I felt... Okay, so there are a few things that I... I really hate to feel, okay? Two things. One is indifference, okay? Meaning, I don't feel anything. There's no love. There's no hate. I feel nothing. So the feeling nothing is something that I don't like, okay? But at that point in time, I was disappointed. I was angry. So that was, that's not something that I felt, okay? So I wasn't indifferent, okay? But I was very uninspired. So... I think I was just consumed by all these very negative emotions. I wasn't in my creative space and I'm a creative soul. So when I'm not inspired or I don't feel any creativity in me, I feel like I was very out of my own skin. I felt like I was different. I was a different person. I didn't even know myself. I felt, I felt very not Daniel, un-Daniel. I didn't know who I was. Um, and I just felt so out of sync. And like, just like every molecule and cell in my body is just like out of sync. You know, and I just, but I didn't know what else to do. I, I have no solutions. I didn't know what else to do, what else to explore. Um, so I just had to write it out. Lah. And I did write it out when I was uh, in Bali. I found myself. I mean, I was so quiet for the half a year. I really didn't talk much. Wow. Um, but in Bali, I remember maybe it was the third day or something. I, I went to have breakfast. You know, the hotels will have their morning breakfast, right? So um, have breakfast. And that was when I found myself and I started talking and I decided that, oh my God, I know what I want to do already. You know, I decided that I wanted to do web design. Um, That that's something that I was already doing on a site pro bono and free for people. I knew how to do it. It It was a passion because it was so new and uh, no one's paying me money for it yet. But because I had so much passion, I was just anybody who needed a website. I said, hey, I do for you, I do for you. So I already had a ready portfolio. I know what I was doing. It was so new. There was demand. It was growing industry. So it's just kind of take all the boxes. And I felt like, oh my God, this is something that if I do, uh, there is almost no, you know, competition, right? Uh, maybe I, it's just the education piece. I have to educate people the pros of having a website, right? People didn't know what it was, right? I mean, at that time, point in time, even a fancy full name card was too much. You know, what is a website? So then I was like, the, I think the final question I asked myself was, is this something that I would do and enjoy even if there was no money, right? And then the, then the responsible question I asked myself was, okay, what was the last drawn pay that I had in, when I was in a cubicle? And I was drawing 3005 Right? And I asked myself, okay, if I give myself two years, you know, I am able to work hard. Um, I have four limbs, you know. Uh, can you make 3,005 on average by the end of 24 months? So I think, I think can lah, not so difficult, right? You know, so I started law. And then I told myself, if I cannot make it, then I'll go back to the cubicle. But I gave myself that chance. And then I never looked back. Lah. 
Mm. So I'm curious to know, um, what do you learn from, you know, that uh, first business experience? What nuggets did, you know, you got out of that? Okay, very simple. You don't have to have a certification in anything to start a business. You don't have to be like an expert, right? Because a lot of it is learning on the job, right? And and um, also, I think nobody really cares about whether you have a certificate or not. As long as they look at your work and it's good and, and it solves a pain point, you know, you are really providing value, then people will hire you, right? Um, and I also learned that in the beginning, when you're starting a business, it is tough. There is no such thing as automation or sales funnel or formula or anything. It's all about manual work. So how I got my first client was, I'm going to tell you this, it's a very touching story and I still hold him so close to my heart. Oh, sorry, my mic. Um, so what I did, this was in the years, uh, the, the era of Yellow Pages, okay? No internet yet, nah. I was going to be part of the internet, right? So Yellow Pages, so I went through Yellow Pages, so I looked at all the advertisements, then I just cold call lah. I cold call, cold call. Most of the calls went flat because nobody knew what a website was. Nobody had time for you to, to listen to you explain. But there was this uncle, he owns an aircon company. So I pick up the phone, doesn't speak English. So I had to speak to him in Chinese. Thank goodness my Chinese is good. So, so I spoke to him and I tried to explain. And he was very patient and so sweet. And he listened to me. He said, 什么是 website? So I said, oh, uncle, that website is just网际网络,就好像是一个名片. You know, 然后, oh, what a great way to do it. Yeah, 就好像一个名片. 然后我说这个呢，就是说你在网上的话，就是任何人都可以通过网际网络看到你这个名片，然后你可以跟大家讲说你的服务是什么，你的价钱是什么，然后人家也可以contact你。我说好像我现在用用用Yellow Pricing, a lot of newbie uh, entrepreneurs don't know how to price. Ma. Talk about money also so difficult. And this is the funny thing, you know. When you're an entrepreneur, usually you do something you're very passionate about. When you're passionate, it comes so easy to you, right? You're almost like enjoying it while you're doing the work, right? And it almost feels, feels like a sin to charge someone for something that you're enjoying, you know? So it's so difficult to ask for, for money, you know? And I'm so kawai and awkward. Then I never really thought about how to charge also. So what I did was I checked in with my intuition and I decided, oh, uh, I wasn't prepared for someone to say yes uh, because all the costs just went flat. So suddenly this uncle said, yeah, yeah, can, can. Then suddenly I was caught off guard. I don't know how much to charge. Then I just said, you know, uncle, don't uh, worry about how much I'll do it. Maybe you don't like it. So you do it first. So I said, I'll do it. After I do it, you look at it, and you think this is how much it is. You can pay me how much it is. So it was basically like a donation box. Uh, you pay me as you wish. Uh. Pay as you can. Uh. See the product first? Yeah. And, then... and that felt so good to me. And that gave me a lot of hope because I was like, for once someone is willing to pay me something, it doesn't matter how much already. This is already a very big step from when I was just doing pro bono work. Right. It's such a big step. And so what I did was, I didn't care how much it was go- I was going to get paid, right? I just did everything I knew about websites, right? I just dumped in, you know, like over the top, did the most kick-ass job I could do. Right. Didn't care how much I was going to be paid. Put everything I knew inside. Did a very nice website for him. Unfortunately, it's no longer online. But ah. I did such a nice website for him. 
Then I gave it to him, right? And then I said, Uncle, did you can't, you can't. She also don't know how to go online and stuff like that. Finally saw it, also don't know how, I don't understand. But here's what's so touching, right? Like someone who, um, it doesn't matter whether the person appreciate the piece of work they have done or not. What he appreciated was his own support for you, for another young entrepreneur who was starting out. I'm having a goosebumps thinking about this right now. I think the uncle gave me a big break. I mean, he he decided to pay $500. And um, I don't know. I mean, I think of that $500, uh, this, even now, it, every time things goes a bit pear-shaped or difficult for me, I just think of the $500. I'm, I'm just very sad that I didn't like frame up $500 because I really needed the money then. <laughs> so I didn't have time to like just frame up. I mean, I didn't have an opportunity to frame up. But and that was months of... Yes. And I felt like this was someone who... It was validation in, in the best possible way. Um, and I felt like, oh my God, this is value exchange. And I felt like this is it. If I can do this once, I can do this a second time. I can do this a third time. And it's just rinse and repeat. Um, and just as I've been touched by very amazing teachers in my life, because I've been touched by someone like the Aircon uncle, I make it a point to, I mean, this is what I do now. I mean, I encourage people to be, to pursue the passion and to start their own businesses. Hell, is a lot of work. It's difficult, but there are people who believe in you and, you know, and you will get there, you know? And, I mean, look at where I am now. I mean, I'm not like earning super big bucks, but I am well provided for. I'm happy. I don't have to worry, worry about my bills. Um, and really, it all started from that one job mm-hmm. and that someone believing in me and that was very big validation. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, after that, that totally changed my mindset. It just went on to like, oh my God, I can so do this now. And then one job led to another. And it's the same thing, providing good value, gaining mastery, really servicing people. Um, and, and of course, I went through a lot of pain of working with the bad clients because when you're a beggar, you cannot be a chooser. You take any old job that comes in, right? You cannot discern because you need the money. So of course, you end up working in the beginning really just for the money. You don't have a choice. And sometimes you end up meeting very bad clients who are not aligned with your values or they abuse you, they, they don't appreciate your work. Uh, yeah, but these days, now I really say no. I do discovery calls now. So it's like, I want to see if we're even a good match. Do I even want to take on your job? Because certain jobs are like very toxic. <laughs> even yeah, if it pays well, actually, no, you've got to step away from it. Are there any uh, 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 stories of bad clients, you know, for people to, to hear about? And of course, there's help, so many. signs of... Or you can smell them from afar. Well, I think, I, well, I think the smell is a train. <laughs> yeah, it's an acumen because I've been burned so many times right now. I'm like, wow, can I, can I say I got already? Can I, you know? Um, or like charge more for the medical bills, right? Yeah. You see, the thing is, well, I, I'm, of course I must say, I must say that when you are a beggar, you cannot choose. So I'm not saying that, you know, uh, you know, integrity and everything, then you are starving already. You, I mean, use your brain now, okay? Sometimes you got to suffer for some things, like, okay? But let's say you're okay now, okay? Don't be very discerning on the jobs that you take on because sometimes I've taken on jobs that's, um, in the beginning, we all thought that it was just going to be a three-month project or maybe a six-month project. And the money was really good for a three- or six-month project. Except, it just went on and on and on and on. It became like a six, 16, 18-month project. And when you divide that co- the, the revenue, it's pittance, 
right? And you just can't sign off. And the thing is, in the corporate world, what happens is like a revolving door. People come and go, people come and go. So if the person who commissioned the project and worked with you, sway sway leave just before you're going to deliver, it has happened before. So I've done jobs for big companies whereby at the delivery, like the delivery meeting, uh, when we're delivering the product, a new hit, a new hit comes in and just tears everything apart. On the day you are supposed to hand over the project, right. all the work is done with the previous team. And, the, and, and I guess the team wasn't nice enough. No, everybody quiet because new boss. Don't dare to ruffle the feathers. Don't dare to speak up. Like, mm, mm, you know? So then, guess what? Back to the drawing board. And everybody, any person who comes in in a new big position has a new big job title. New ideas. New ideas. Of course. <laughs> I'm here to change things. Shake what things is up. this? What is this? What are you doing? What the heck are you doing? Okay, so don't care about my time and the effort, no respect. Back to the drawing board. So that's what I mean by those kind of jobs, right? Mm -hmm. So I still clear away. And of course, sometimes when you speak to certain clients, you know, um, you can sense the the vibes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, whether they're toxic or not. So if you feel that "Mm, this person is not good or like very boastful or like to drop names all the time or when they talk about other people that work with, they they, they sound very disrespectful. So they think that they're sharing intel with you, but when they're saying something, they're speaking ill of other oh, yeah. people. So you know that this is... That's such a, a, a good one because um, it's about them giving you insider information, uh, uh, but then they might also be talking bad about you. Yeah, because, you. because the trust, right? He, they think, he thinks that because you, they, he's trying to uh, create uh, material and meet for connection, right? Yeah. So they, you, you badmouth people, you bitch. I mean, that's what we do. Like, as friends, sometimes we hang out, we gossip, gossip. We have a common enemy, so we feel very close. But this kind of closeness is false closeness, mm-hmm. right? And then basically, you think you're building trust, like, hey, hey I tell you a secret, nah, you know, the person's secret, right? Then you feel like, wow, we're very buddy-buddy, right? But actually not. You, what you're telling me is, I can't trust you. Mm. No, no, I, no. And, 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 <laughs> no. And what it is, is that um, you will feel that of course. And, and it's norm, normal that everyone feels closer yeah. to the person if who share insight. If you're a mindful person, if you're not a mindful person, actually you get sucked into that and you become a person like that also. Yeah. Right? You also do the gossip mongering. Mm-hmm. Right? But if you're mindful when someone is doing that, you immediately go like, oh my God, you know, why are you talking about the person like that? That's not your information to share. Mm-hmm. Where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. Right? You have no boundaries. Yeah. Right? And you might think that we are connecting because you're sharing pre- information that's not privy to me, but then I, I will be very wary of someone like you. Oh, and then the worst part is when they, they say, hey, I share with you, but you can't tell anyone. I was like, oh, wow, thank, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. thank you for giving me the job of... Correct. Of they want not... to make you special. Right. Make you special. See, that's what they're trying to do, to build a connection, but that's a very poor way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I talk non-stop, you know, you got to stop me, you know, because I talk non-stop on that. No, that's good. Good, good information. <laughs> and, and so let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, uh, um, the growth of uh, Magic Mushroom, right? Okay. After the first uh, $500, uh, how does your next field project looks like? And mm-hmm. is it, uh, what is the sales equity? Is it still Yellow Pages? Uh, <laughs> well, and how did it evolve, I guess? Well, I think my business really evolved with the trajectory of internet. Right when I first started, it was in the days of Lycos, Excite, uh, Netscape, <laughs> GeoCities. <laughs> there was no Friendster, no MySpace. Uh, there was no Facebook. There was not, none of that sort. Um, when I first started, it was dial up, ee, ing, 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 that kind, no. Oh my God. 
Uh, okay, that was the era. And then even attaching a photograph to an email was like, wow, explosion kind of achievement. So you must understand that I started at, I'm the granddaddy, like, <laughs> at that time. Okay, so, but the, the, the technology and the programming language just keeps evolving so quickly, you know, then you, you have to really get with the times. And it moves so fast. So in the beginning, I was really, really doing the design work myself because I was a one-man bandwagon. And programming, I had to learn coding HTML. Then, of course, we went into DHTML. Then we went into CSS. And then we went into, like, server-side scripts and things like that. And then I couldn't ca- catch up. I couldn't keep up. I just, oh, my God, you know. Um, then, of course, what happened was, uh, well, the jobs just got bigger and bigger. I mean, I worked with companies like Seagate, uh, like Association of Banks of Singapore, uh, Singapore Airlines, you know, things like that. I worked with bigger and bigger companies. I think I was very lucky as in there were few people doing it. So there was not a lot of competition. So timing was good. Timing was good. And I've always been like that with all the businesses that I've done. I'm always good at spotting micro trends. And, um, and I'm not... I, don't get me wrong, I'm not doing it for the money because it's a trend that I want to make money. No. Somehow, my passion and the things I want to do fall in line with something that's just slightly ahead of the... It, be, it becomes like it hit jackpot. It hits jackpot. So that by the time it becomes mainstream, I'm already all set and established and I become the very one of the main providers and people come to me. I'm a solution provider. So it's the same with my panoramic imaging thing. It was way before Google Panoramas and stuff like that. So when people wanted something like that, they come to us. It was an easy sell, yeah. right? So the product was there. So to answer your question, um, the jobs just got bigger and bigger. So what happened was for me to do those jobs, um, I had to start just roping other people in because I didn't have the expertise. Like for example, if a client come in, like my work, and say, hey, hey, I want an e-commerce store right now. Can you do that? They say, hey, I haven't done it before. I don't know. You know. Right. Then they say, but can you help me? You know? Can you go and find that? I will be very transparent and say, I haven't done it before, but I think I'll go and source around and I'll help you. Uh, if I cannot do, I cannot do. I'll let you know. And then the e-commerce bit, maybe you get someone else or you find another totally different vendor. It's fine, right? But what I'll do is then, because there's a need, you go and find, and then you find somebody, then you ask, go back to the client and say, okay, I found these, pe- these people. They're very good. This is what they have done. They're willing to work with me. Would you like to give us this job? Yes. Then you do. Law. So it's very organic. It never feels forced. And whenever there's an opportunity, you evaluate it if the conditions are right you can find the right resources you go ahead and do a kick-ass job that you will elevate you until now you become someone who can do an e-commerce site then it just goes on and on and then also then I start to mm, remove myself from the actual creative work so I run the business now I service clients I go out pitching do sales do the money very natural progression. Very, very natural. It wasn't like, um, I want to hire a crew of 10 people. Now I'm a web development company. It's not. Mm. I've not borrowed a single cent. I've never borrowed a single cent. It was always my own money. It's organic. Uh, and any growth was very natural, unforced. But of course, uh, I am... It's just a combination of acumen and also being in the right place at the right time. Sometimes... Everything falls so nicely that I feel like it's I've got nothing to do with it. It's just luck. But I've learned to to give myself a little bit more credit that m- maybe it comes so easy, it doesn't mean that you didn't lift a finger. It's just second nature to you right. then to know what business to pitch for and things like that, you know? Is it is it true that you know that when you hire people? Yes, I do. Because <laughs> it's the same for me. Yeah, I, I, I've only hired in my whole... Wow, now 20... Almost more than 15 years of entrepreneurship, I've only hired two people badly. 
But it was bad. When I mean badly, it wasn't like super bad. It was just, it didn't turn out. That means these people are still not with me. Um, but most of my guys are with me after 10 years. They're still with me. So uh, my friends always ask me, Dan, how come you got this spider sense? I say it's not a spider sense. It's the bunny sense. It's the rabbit. You know that nose, the, the bunny likes to do the, the nose thing. I can feel. Um, and I hire, uh, I invest a lot of time in personal relationships. So people always say, how come you can find the right people? I say, well, that's because when the opportunity comes, I know exactly who to hire. Mm. So I don't so you're say... always hiring. I'm always hiring. I'm always talking to people. Like for example, now we're building a relationship, right? And camaraderie and stuff like that. We might not have anything to do together other than this interview right now, right? But, you know, we're constantly building something, you know, and it's all these micro-evaluations and stuff. As I get to know you, your skill sets and your strengths, your weaknesses, and most importantly, your aptitude, your personality, your character traits. It's almost like an ongoing interview, mm. business interview, right? Job interview. And then whenever, like, for example, if in the future there's this... Opening. There's an opening or another friend has an uh, opening or whatever and wants to look for an exact person, I know who to guy sell. And when I guy sell, it is good one. Right. People know. And and it uh, actually also increases uh, it is a win-win for Correct. your friend and for the of person course, who you got. Of course. And I think this win-win thing, we can talk about it later, is so important. I think yeah. how can we all win together? That is the conversation I want to talk about. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Let's let's continue on the the, the story. But before we, we do that, I also kind of want to uh, point out that you also have the website for National Hurry Parade Board, yeah. and also uh, all the way to the Prime Minister office. Yeah, we've done work for them. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to know when did Magic Mushroom um, got turned into Studio MDS, and 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 why? Wow. Okay. So Studio MDS uh, was uh, the studio that I set up with my uh, American business partner, Matt, uh, wow, many years ago now. Um, and that was, uh, it, we focused on panoramic imaging, the 360 virtual oh. tours, right? So it was a separate entity. How I found him was, again, a miracle worldwide web, right? I was reading maybe TechCrunch or I don't know, I can't remember what it was. It was a tech, not a, uh, a tech blog. I was reading a post. So I was going, scrolling through all the comments and there was this guy's comment that just jumped out at me and it was Matt's, okay? I can't remember what he wrote, but it was just the energy that was just popping out of the sea of comments. Somehow this guy felt like he was bright, smart, brilliant, and really nice. So I felt very drawn to this person's comment. So I clicked on the name, went to his website, sleuth on all the things he was doing and I saw that he was trying to experiment with the panorama platform which I was like oh my god my mind was blown I was like okay I have seen those small quick time VTR stuff huh? but I've never seen this is so huge and the quality is amazing and it works like butter it's got beautiful interface and everything so what I did me being me so excited right email reach out oh my god I love it I love it, I love it. oh my god oh my god oh my god you know and then immediately, I can envision all the things I could do with and, and apply. And I said, oh my god, you know, we could do this, we could do that. I said, uh, so, so sorry for this very abrupt, ob- obtrusive guy. You know, I'm from Singapore, whatever. Of course, he was very taken aback, but of course, also very intrigued by who is this guy. Right. And uh, we got talking, and then he told me he didn't feel the platform was ready. Then I said, no, I think it's ready. And I said... <laughs> I think, yes, it's ready from the way I see it. And I say, I'm not assessing it as a newbie. I'm in this industry. Yep. And I tell you, we can sell. And I can sell so well for you because I believe in the product. And when I be- I'm already a very good salesman. Huh? But when I believe in your product, I can sell even better. And I think it's, I only sell things that I believe in. 
Okay, so I said, I said, I don't know where you are. He's actually in Georgia, Atlanta. So I said, but in Singapore, we are so right for this platform because we are all about real estate. We have showrooms, show flats, right? And then we, we, we have tourism. You know, with hospitality. And I can think of all these applications for like Capella. We did a big job with Capella as well. We did all the suites and rooms and stuff. And ours is such an easy sell. So then what we did was we decided to work together. We set up MTS, retained the name. His name is uh, um, Matt Daniel Smith, right? MDS. So his middle name is my name. So we kept Matt. So MDS we kept, right? Except for the Singapore one is Matt Daniel Singapore. And then we kind of customized the logo a little bit. Um, yeah. So then we had a really good run for about three to four years. Wow. Worked with Mr. Quackling Ju for CDL. Uh, he became my mentor before he passed away. Um, and so uh, CDL is? Uh, CDL, the real estate developer. Oh, you know, all the buildings yeah. and shopping malls. CDL, like Far East Organization, CDL. Yeah. So Mr. Quack, um, and I also pitched to him in a meeting of like more than 10 over different directors and stuff. And it was a really interesting conversation with him. He was totally so. I just showed him a three, three minute presentation. Then he said, then after, right after the presentation, he said, okay, then I'm so, we're so, let's not talk about this anymore. I'm interested about your life. How do you get here? So it ended up like, like an interview like today like that, you know. Right. And then anyway, he decided to take me under his wing and then we had Kopi sessions and I learned a lot from him before he passed away. Wow. Um, uh, so we worked with people like that yep. um, and we were very uh, fearless in the way we went about because I believed in the product mm-hmm. and I just had to educate. Again, it's the education piece. Just like when I first started with website, I have to educate people. Okay, this is like website is like a name card on steroids. So now, when I, when I sold the panoramas, it's like, okay, let's just do away with those dingy JPEGs, okay? Let's do something that's more interactive, immersive, and what you see is what you get. And people get a, a really good idea of the space. Mm. You know, I said, I can sell your place better. It's a great market too. Yeah, it's great. So what we did was, my, my approach was very simple. I was like, oh my God, I keep touching the mic. Um, my approach was very simple. I said, um... In the beginning, what we did was we did a lot of cold emails out. But we realized that by the time it reached the middle management, uh, it disappeared. Nobody replied. Yep. Because all these middle management people feel that this is more work. They don't want to touch. They just go back to try and tested ways of like JPEG photo, like, upload like that. Yep. You know? Then I was like, hmm, let's, let's think of how, how can we get this. I said the product is really good. I just need to talk to the right person. I just need to talk to the decision maker. So we decided let's go to, let's focus all our ammo on trying to get to the decision makers. But because of that, it's going to take a lot of time. Let's be very, very focused. So we said, let's look at all the different industries that we want to work with. Uh, the government sector, okay, real estate, um, hospitality, tourism. Okay, then I say, let's earmark each industry, top three people we want to work with. Mm. Okay, oh, Singapore Flyer. Okay, uh, maybe Hospitality Capella. Uh, property, Fires Organization, CDL. Okay, then government, okay, National Heritage Board or whatever, you know. So then we focus our MO, then we just do a pitch. Then, of course, they're like, wow. Yeah, okay. That's it. The head say yes. Of course, everybody say yes, ma. And, and I want to just underscore how smart it is because once you get the top guys to uh, use it, then everyone follows. Exactly. So we say who are the market leaders. They set the trend. Everybody follows suit. Then people start calling us really long. Want to franchise us. Even China, people want to franchise our technology. So I went into that before my meltdown. I was like pitching, 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 talking to investors. Mm. So again, Studio MDS started because of something that was so organic as reading a comment from a tech blog mm. and me taking the interest in Matt and reaching out and saying, hey, I think there's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite failure? 
Yes, my meltdown. All right, let's. Why don't we go? That on? is my favorite, and it's a failure, but it's also a success. Like, yeah. okay, oh my god, oh my god, so much to unpack. Okay, so can I start talking about? <laughs> I'm so excited. Most excited failure. Oh, oh my god, because 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 there's a punchline at the end of it. Remind me of to, to, to remind people about punchline. Oh, okay. Okay. So six years ago, in when two, all this is going really well. Going very well. Studio MDS at the peak. Investors pitching, people want to put in money, people want to franchise, whatever. We had so many options, huh? There was two zero one two, okay, and um, I had a meltdown, okay, and the meltdown really, I was not prepared for it. I didn't know it was coming. There were signs, didn't pay attention to it, okay. So what happened was, um, I had my meltdown when I was in New York. I was not there for work, although uh, I planned to have some meetings with some people there. It was there mainly for leisure. I was there to watch Madonna. Uh, I think it was the MDNA concert in the Yankee Stadium with a few close friends who were overseas. And then we were supposed to meet in New York and have a good time. So we planned this trip for a very long time already. It was supposed to be an epic New York trip. It has to be epic, right? I mean, the flight is so bloody long, right? So then I also planned to, after New York, uh, to spend another two weeks in Vancouver, see a couple of friends, and also I lined up even more meetings. But I didn't survive more than a few days in New York and then I had the meltdown. Okay. Before the New York trip, um, I was very, very busy. And because I didn't take care of, um, I didn't practice a lot of self-care uh, before my meltdown and I was just running myself to the ground. I kept working very hard. You know, a workaholic, right? Perfectionist, right? Overachiever, right? I kept driving myself. I had so many things, right? Multi-passionate, right? Do, 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 do. And then... At the same time, I was going older and older and older. I was growing older. But I was driving myself like I was a fresh 21-year-old, just came out of army like that, you know, can chong, 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 chong. So my energy level was very different, but I was still running my life as if I was like a fresh, tip-top condition engine, you know, but not. So what happened was I started to fall sick very, very often. Every two to three months, I will, somebody sneezed around me, only I would turn around. So my, my immunity was very, very low. So I get sick very often. Just before the New York trip, I was sick. But I didn't take care of myself, continued to do pitching sessions, meet, meet angel investors, blah, 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 right? All the way until before I left for New York, the flight, I went to see a doctor, except the doctor said, I don't think you should go on your trip. You are very sick. I don't think you should fly. Mm. I said, cannot, cannot, cannot. This whole thing planned one year already. I have to lump my ass there. Cannot, cannot. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Just give me like strongest meds, knock me out, okay? So the doctor said, you sure, huh? So I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, okay, you know, I just, uh, I, I can sleep, I can sleep. So then gave me a bag full of drugs. I went up, took my drugs, and then asked the stewardess to lay my bed. And then I slept, I knocked out, okay? Except that the drugs actually had an adverse effect on me. I didn't know. When I reached New York, everything was monochromatic, like black and white. I didn't know. It just looked like colorless and dull. But also, I was very drugged up and I was very sick. So I didn't pay too much attention. And then there was just a series of, from mini to mid-sized waves of anxiety, panic attacks. Even when I was in a taxi, the yellow cab, riding from the uh, airport to the hotel, I felt overcome by anxiety because I thought the driver, who was this big, burly black driver, would mob me or rob me or like, you know, kidnap me. I don't know why. I was just scared of so many things. Then I looked out the window. I was like, since when did New York become so grey and dark? And like, how come like Gotham City like that? You know? Anyway, reached the hotel, panic attack again because didn't see my friends. Mm. 
Then I said my friends were already in Times Square okay. waiting for me. So then my friend said, hey, come, come join us for dinner, you know, put your bags, come join us. Should be very fun, right? I got panic attack. I didn't know how to go to Times Square. So I had to ask them, I was like a baby like that. I had to ask them for directions and they had to be very detailed. And they were very detailed and I still didn't know how to navigate my way there. Mm. Eventually, I got there. My friend looked at me and said, hey, are you alright or not? So outwardly, I already didn't look alright, you know. My, enough for my friends to ask me, are you alright? Huh? I said, hey, no, no, I'm sick. I said, I'm sick. Except then also, I couldn't enjoy my dinner that night because once I touched down in New York, all the calls kept coming in, my messages, WhatsApp, my ping, 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 ping. And then we had a server meltdown and I was like, fuck. So anxiety attack again at Starbucks. Okay. Then, cut the long story short, anxiety attack, anxiety attack. Um, big and small. Went to the Yankee Stadium to watch Madonna. Didn't watch. Madonna, very high impact, right? I slept. I slept through the whole concert. This was how sick I was, right? And so out, like, I was just out. And then after that, uh, I had an episode in the hotel room. I was so sick, I decided not to go out with my friends. So I said, yeah, y'all go out. I'm just going to rest, right? Never eat, kong tuzi, keep taking meds, right? So I don't know what happened. It's just a combination of all the factors. I was on bed, in, in the bed. I was very harassed by this air conditioner. That's like, it's, it's a cheap hotel. Lah. So they stuck the air con unit into the window panel kind. That is very lock cock. Then it went. I was very harassed by that. So I look at it and then I walked up to it, right? And then I caught myself thinking that I was going to push, I, I was just going to push the whole bloody aircon down. And then I told myself, I'm, I'm going to jump down. I'm going to jump down. I'm going to jump down with it. So when I thought that, right, and I, I felt my body being carried and doing the motion, I freaked out. I was like, so it was just a sliver of mindfulness and that's why we have to practice meditation uh, because meditation acts on that sliver of a microsecond that could impact your decision. A pattern interrupt. Yes. So I had that mindfulness to watch my horrible, don't know what I was doing, thinking, and then go, oh my God, something is very wrong. Bearing in mind, I had a series of anxiety attacks already. So I was watching myself and I was like, what the fuck is happening, right? So I was like, that was when I told myself, I need help, I need help. Mm. So I picked up my handphone I look at my handphone, I want to call for help, right? I didn't know how to unlock it. Eh. I was so overcome by anxiety, I didn't know how to unlock it. So it was just flashing, unlock, unlock. I didn't even know how to do the swipe. So I was like, what? what? You know? Then I thought, okay, ah, analog phone. Ah, see, see, got analog phone here. So I was like, ah, analog phone, you know, I can like, you know, do this, right? And, oh, sorry, the mic. <laughs> then I took up the hotel phone and then I look at the buttons. I didn't know what to press. It all looked like 10,000 buttons to me. Like, I, I was so overwhelmed even by a simple thing like that. So I know that I think something is very wrong with me already. So I was very scared. So I went back to the bed. Then my laptop was there. And then luckily, my laptop was configured such that when I open it, it gets connected automatically to FaceTime. So I did that and I got connected. And then my friend pinged me and, and I accepted the call for some reason. And that was when I spoke to my friend and I begged him to get, get me back home to Singapore. Wow. So I begged him back. And what they did was, then they realised that I was very sick and I wanted to go home. Um, managed to get an air ticket for me out a few days later. So you think it, the episode ended there, right? But it didn't. I didn't last that few days for that flight. The next day, I, I, was, I felt like it was, I was good enough. I went out with my friends and we went out to Guggenheim Museum. 
And then when, when we were at Guggenheim Museum, I was fine. Except that physically I was drained because it was a long walk from the hotel to Guggenheim Museum. Um, I remember I was still going down Guggenheim Museum, walking down, and then we went into a site exhibition in, in a room. Then in the site exhibition room, there was another room where they were showing noir film. My friends went into that room. I didn't. I stayed in the, big, the main hall looking at the things on the wall. And that was when I started to feel very unwell. I felt like the like I was in a vortex. Like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Then it started spinning. And then I blacked out. Eh. Wow. Then, that was it. Then, after that, I was packed back to Singapore mm-hmm. on an emergency flight. I just had to, my friend just had to get that, that ticket to fly me back. What my friend said was that I felt, they felt like when they, when they observed me, it wasn't a blackout. I went hysterical. Um, and that they thought I was possessed. And I threw up. I threw up at Google. <laughs> museum. Don't worry, I, you don't I, know. Yeah, I threw up and I was like hysterical and I was asking for help. And I ran into the projection room and um, I kept saying, And they said that it doesn't matter what they say to me. Or what question they asked me, the only response I gave was And I said I did it like I was chanting, and I did it non-stop. So they thought I was possessed, right? Anyway, came back to Singapore, saw a doctor, be on medication, see psychotherapist three times a week. I was on a recovery program for half a year. I was out of action. So the medical diagnosis was I had mind-body disassociation. So my mind separated from my body because my mind decided to do that for me. Because if I don't stop, it's going to fry. Even the brain is going to get fried. Then the doctor said the reason why I kept saying was because that was the only message that the brain chose to focus on that will give you comfort and safety. Yeah. Is it? Got to change card. <laughs> yeah. Can, can we continue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the only thing that was in my mind that would bring me back to safety. And, and to me, home is comfort. So he likened my condition to a computer in sleep mode. So technically, it's still on. But it could not do anything. It was in sleep mode. So my mind decided to power everything down, like to just to save you then. Yeah. It kicks in the mechanism. Yeah. So uh, I was a medication, saw a, a psychologist, um, had psychotherapy session three times a week. And that was when I started my self-discovery journey. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time excavating my patterns and behavior, what led to my meltdown. And we had to unpack a lot of the invisible scripts. Why I drive myself so hard? Why is it that I don't take care of myself? Why is it that I always want to take care of people around me? Why I give, 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 give? Why I never say no? Why I have no boundaries? Why I never acknowledge my achievements? Why it is never enough? So you see how all this is tied back to my childhood conditioning? Yeah. And so, so to answer your question... That was my biggest failure. But that is such an amazing event because it, is, it has almost led to 
a new phase and a new season in my life as a result of that. Like I had to do this whole... You see, I had to have a breakdown in order to have a breakthrough, right? And it was a pattern disruption and it had to happen that big, right? Such a, such a big thing that I have no choice and I had to surrender, you know, because uh, my situation was very bad. I, um, I felt like I wasn't very coherent yeah. uh, at that time. My mind, body, I, um, I would be so anxious that I couldn't control my peeing. I would wet my bed. So, very lot, no. And so it was a case of, I thought, okay, this is it, law. This is it, law. You work so hard then for everything and then now you cannot even control your peeing. Wow. So, it, <laughs> I had no choice but to surrender and to really take this very seriously already. You know, and I'd be like, oh my God, someone, you, this is what they say, burnout, what they call burnout. And you can burn out like that. Yeah. And um, for people, um, I guess, if you were to go back to your... Uh, younger self back then like what would you tell this person on you know um, how how maybe is there some telltale signs what are some of the telltale signs if they're listening right. you know um, to maybe check it out to investigate it a little bit more okay before a huge um, yeah I think prevention is better than cure so I always tell when I'm like speaking to the uh, varsity students or the poly students I always tell them, like, I don't want to come across as very preachy. Like, when I'm going through my slides and I say, you should do this, you should do that, you should, 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 very preachy, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can get it, sometimes they can't. Because I think there are certain lessons that you have to go and long biasi, then you will feel it. Right. It's like almost you need to be scalded by hot water, then you will learn not to touch the kettle again, uh-huh. right? But then, of course, I tell them, but if you can live, and I, we can try and you can live through my mistakes and my failure, and if there's a way for me to express to you how you can try and avoid that if possible. Yeah. Then let's try and do that. And I think that's, that's the whole point, objective of your question. Yes. So the telltale signs were, just to tell you why, what, what were the signs that I didn't, I, yeah. I saw yeah. and I ignored it. I had hives all the time. Okay. I break out in hives. And um, it all started when I was studying in Japan. I had a, a, a like a I gave myself like my own gap year because I had all the money and stuff. And I thought, I let, let me do the things that I want to pursue. So I went to Japan and, and I took up the Japanese language. But it was also at a time where I started to have this skin condition. It's urticaria, so I would break out in hives. And if I scratch, right, so I scratch myself like that, the hive will come out that way. If I scratch zigzag, it will come out this way. If I take a pen and write my name, the 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 rash will come out in the in my name. Okay? So it's that kind of rash. And sometimes I have the whole back all the way to my butt. It will just scratch. And then the whole idea is that when you have urticaria, don't scratch. Right. It will make it worse. Yeah. When you have an itch and you don't scratch. And you know I love scratching my itches, right? So, (laughs) yeah. So that's that. Also, before I left for New York, I realized that when uh, there were a few occasions when I got into the car, when I sat down, I had this like very severe like heart seizure. Not seizure, but this like congestion it almost feels like a contraction, congestion, and it's like a knot, and it goes like, and it feels like a burn, and it's very acidic, and for about maybe seven or eight seconds, you feel like you can't move, and you have to hold your breath. And after that, it relaxes. So these were physical manifestations of, you know, I was not healthy. And then, of course, every two months, fall sick, like, what now? What's wrong with you? Right, people sneeze on you, you get it. You take a plane on you, you get it. it right. Cabin air is very bad for me at that time. I will always fall sick when right. I travel. 
So that's that. Also not having enough sleep all the time. Mm. My relationship with sleep has been recalibrated after my meltdown. Pre-meltdown, I felt like sleep was for losers. Sleep was a waste of time. I had no enjoyment in sleep. I'm not interested in sleep whatsoever. I was so excited in my awake hours because I have so many goddamn things I wanted to do and I'm so excited. I can't wait to start my day. So I felt like sleep was a waste of time. And before my meltdown, I was clocking three hours. Sometimes I can don't sleep for three days. I'm like, I don't know. This is how scary I drive myself. After meltdown now, I have to clock seven, eight. I sleep. I train like my temple. Right. When people uh, I coach tell me that they've got problems, I always say, have, first question, are you having enough sleep? That's my first question. If not, please do that. That's your first level of medication. Yeah. You know? So sleep is also very important. Mm. You mentioned about the um, six months of uh, psychotherapy session, right? Yes. Um, I think there's a, a lot of stigma around yes. psychotherapy. Yes. Um, maybe we can start off by like, what are some of the misconceptions uh, you had from psychotherapy before mm-hmm. and what it's actually like? I had misconceptions and it's very common with everybody. Like, uh, you must be Shen Jinping and you go, like, Shen Jinping, the word Shen Jinping just sounds so, right, strange. It's not Shen Jinping. It's Crazy. just that you are, yeah, you're in a state. You're in a state, you need help. That's it. You're in a funk. Okay, can we rephrase it? You're not Shen Jinping. But of course, some, there are certain medical conditions. You know, mine was medical, but it wasn't like um, inherent. It was more like, brought by external circumstances and the way that I've been not taking care of myself. It led to a meltdown. So I also felt that um, it's very clinical. Uh, I felt that it was very um, clinical, meaning that it's without emotions, it's cold. Um, Maybe no empathy. I may treat you like a patient, like you're sick. I don't know. And also like, oh, uh, to even go there, you must be really like helpless or that um, uh, you are defeated, you are a failure, mm. you know, uh, you are spoiled goods. Mm. Uh, and also it's very embarrassing yep. uh, that to tell people that you have got a condition and you're seeing a shrink or whatever, you're getting mental help, yep. okay? So those are my preconceptions. Uh, I think it's no different from most pre- what the preconceptions. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what preconceptions I have because I needed help. <laughs> Full stop. I had no choice. And this psychotherapist I went to, I call her Kay. She's called Corinne. She is really godsend. She is my guardian angel, I tell you. She, she is such a gorgeous human being. And she's made such a big impact and difference in my life. Um, it's nothing like that. It's not clinical. It was full of love and empathy. It was so friendly. It was so welcoming. It was so comforting. It feels like my ama all over again. Okay, it, feels, it felt like that. Um, I felt like it was very fun. I felt like it was just, um, I, I did three times a week, right? So in the beginning, okay, bear in mind, I am not an easy patient. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, I question, okay? I am, I would like to think that I'm very critical about a lot of things, right? Discerning. So when she dispenses a particular exercise <laughs> or something for me to do, I will ask well, I'll question all the logic, the reason, the objective, why this this looks so woo-woo, this looks so like I want to like roll my eyes at it. I literally want to roll my eyes at this. Like ask stupid questions, lah. Then I'm like, what's the point of all this? I'm unwell, you know, I'm impatient, I want to get well, and things like that. So 
wow, it's just a masterclass in how to human. I think how to really be patient with myself, how to take care of myself, how to be comfortable with myself, and how to confront a lot of my invisible scripts and my de- de- demons in me. Can I just interrupt you there? Yes, sure. Um, um, if you, because I think you wouldn't be, I mean, I would be pretty similar to you if I were to go into a, a psychotherapy session. Um, is there any way um, that person could tell you ahead of time certain couple of things to make you more at ease? Uh, if you were to be the psychotherapist, say for example, now that you are done, like what would you have done differently as as the psychotherapy for your young uh, yourself before? I wouldn't change anything. Like okay. I wouldn't change anything. I feel that the the approach that uh, Corinne um, led me through really worked for me. I I really believe in it. That's why I'm coaching other people right now because I've been through hell and I've come back alive. Um, and also, in a way, you were asking me about, you know, is there any way we can prevent other people from having a breakdown in order to get a breakthrough, yeah. right? We can try and preempt people. But also, I feel there's a lot of beauty and power in going through something like this. Mm. So much so that maybe I wouldn't even advise people to shun it or, or, or avoid it. Maybe, maybe I'll be like, humanity. yeah, it's earning your stripe. I don't know. It's like, mm, really? I, I see that you're going to long be alright. Should, should I? Now I have a choice to say whether I want to stop you and interrupt and say, don't go and long be as a coach. As a coach. Or I say, maybe just let him go long be or her go and long be Right. Because there's a lot of beauty in that. Maybe can learn faster. <laughs> and and if, you, if you, you really own that lesson, you know, instead of me telling you and it's just cerebral, yep. but if you, it really hurts, you know, you, you, it's it's different when you are, you experience the lesson as right. opposed to being taught or told the lesson. Mm. You know, the learning, the, the the depth in the learning is so different. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, so really, this going back, uh, I think the punchline for the failure thing is that I really it's not a failure if there are lessons to be learned from it. And I think that this was such a beautiful encounter. I would not... If you ask me, do you still... Do you want to go through? If you go back, is there anything you want to do different to prevent this meltdown? I'll say, no, man. Really, I, I really treasure this meltdown. I mean, I, I speak about it like I love it. Like, I'm so excited about it now. Because I've reframed my mindset around failures, around this event, my relationship with this. I've made peace with it. And I felt like, oh my God, so much good has come out as a result of this burning experience. Well, I feel like... I also feel like a lot of a big part of um, 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 uh, psychotherapy and coaching is really to give a new meaning, a new lens to all events so you can get a different uh, meaning and hence different uh, response yes. to... Yes. yes, because at the end of the day, we cannot control a lot of things. But the, the only thing, the power that we have and the power that we should reclaim really is the way we react. That is where our power lies. Or the way to give meaning Yes, to, yes. Um, Everything is neutral. Everything is neutral. And we assign meanings and we attach meanings to it. Right? So that's the power that we have. That bit we can control. Right? So that's where we train ourselves to be more resilient, our mental resilience. You know? Yeah. And and you wouldn't even give yourself like, you know, like, uh, say for example, you did six months with um, Corinne, Corinne, right? Mm. Um, Do you think that in any point is there ways to uh, I, I know you wouldn't want to speed it up but mm-hmm. um, because for somebody who might not have the financial ability to mm-hmm. go through yeah. psychotherapy session like yeah. is there any other solutions for this uh, folks uh, well 
Because the story would have been very different if you don't have the money you to. See, I think certain things you cannot rush, right? In fact, I tell you, I felt like when, when Corinne signed me off and said, hey, Dan, you know, during our last session, I didn't know it was coming. Uh, she said, this is the last session. I think you're fine. You can go now. Let's say our job is, my job with you is done, right? I felt like it wasn't long enough. Like, I wanted it to go on. This is how much I have started to enjoy the sessions with, with her. Previously, it was all stigma and everything. And then after that, I'm like, no, this is so joyful. This has got nothing like the way I thought it was going to be. So when she signed me off, she said, okay, you're ready now. You can fly. You're like a bird. I let you fly. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, then what do I do? I still, I don't feel well. Like, I don't think I'm fully recovered. Like, I was trying every, any reason to continue seeing her. You know? book, right? Yeah, then I was like, no, then she said, then, so now, you know, so I asked her, my question was, so what do I do now? You know, what do I do now? Do I go back to my business or slash businesses? Should I shut down one of my business so that I should do less? You know, I wanted easy answers that someone would give me and I don't have to make the decision myself. Mm. She wouldn't answer any of those. Right. And then I said, then what do I do next? Like next week, like next week, this time, what do I do? You know, then she said, well, then you don't come and see me. Then I said, then what? Like, you know, I, I feel like I need to grow some more. There's still so many questions I have. And she said, oh, you know, the search doesn't end. It never ends. And now what you should do is you bring your own experience that you've been touched this whole recovery process your story and you go and touch other people's lives now and other people will need your help you know and i was like oh that's something i can do it felt tangible it felt like oh that's task oriented enough for me the overachiever type a kind i'm like okay i can do that so what i did was then i emerged out of my bunny cave and i shared my story with my friends because a lot of people didn't know why I went. I didn't tell a lot of people what happened yeah. when I was in the recovery period. Yeah. But after I recovered, I emerged out of the cave, I shared with people and guess what? I got so many direct messages and calls and everything from my outwardly successful, happy poster family friends <laughs> asking for Corinne's number, asking for my uh, the medication I was on, asking me what happens during a psychotherapy session. Like you ask me like they have stigma. They think, is it like that? Is it like that? Okay, but these are the people who are willing to now reach out for help. Why? Because I was the first one to say, hey, you know, I went through it, you know. Right. I, I failed, you know. I've been a total embarrassment to myself, my family and my friends. But it's not. Mm. But I'm so comfortable about talking about my failure because I don't see it as a failure. I saw it as a point of sharing information and intel. And this is the honest truth. Yeah. This is what happened. Of value. Yes, and, and really I was just sharing because I am a person who wears my emotions and my stories on my sleeve. If you care enough to ask me, I will tell you because I, am, I don't feel like I'm defined by those moments. I'm not defined by my dad, um, you know, problems or, you know, my dad forsaking me. I, I chose not to be defined by that. I'm not defined by my meltdown, you know. So, so that's, that's why I feel very comfortable in sharing what to other people might be very embarrassing stories. But I share it wholeheartedly. And that's the beauty. When you, are, uh, vu- when you are okay to be vulnerable enough to share so open-heartedly, it becomes a strength. Yep. Right? And people want, feel very drawn because you are very safe. And people come to you and now they are willing to ask for help from someone they feel very safe with. So that's what happened to the people around me. And that was when I realized the epiphany. Oh my God. So many of us are miserable. So many of us are pretending to be okay or not even taking care of ourselves. Mm. So that's how I decided to do the Happy Academy thing. And then I went into coaching. So one thing led to another law. Yeah. Yeah. 
So my failure created a business opportunity <laughs> for me. Yeah. You know, I don't know whether it answered your question or not. Um, but that's the way I see it. Um, yeah. What was but, the original question? The, uh? the, the, well, it was um, on the on the note of if people do not have the financial ability. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I see. I remember that I didn't answer your question. Okay, so I think that there are a lot of people who are willing to help uh, in any way that they can. Um, it is a so okay. Just to give you an example, Corinne, when I see her, sometimes I will be like the third patient or the fourth patient of the day. So it's a long day, right? I'll usually be the last patient because she knows that I need a lot of time and I'm like a talker and she enjoys talking to me. But what she would do is when she's talking to me, she will take out her tiger bum rub ointment. Then she will take this thing and then she will just keep rubbing herself like that, like that, in pain like that. Then she sometimes it, sometimes it's so painful she's in agony. Then I say, hey, do you need to go and see a data or not? You know. Then she say, oh, oh, you mean this? Then she say, oh, no, this is nothing. This will go away. So I say, oh, but did you like you know sleep like lao zhen or what? She say, no, this is psychosomatic pain. So psychosomatic pain is absorbed from mm. another person whose life condition is very low. Mm. So when you come in, it's like a vampire, you know, it like... <sighs> so if you're a light worker, you're a miracle energy worker, it's a little bit woo-woo, but that's what happens, right? <laughs> you get sucked, you get drained, right? And it's yeah. a lot of work. That's why it's empathy work when you're coaching someone. It's very draining. And oh. that's what happens is when I do a call with someone, oh. when I'm coaching someone, after a call, I have to recharge. I go like, wow, draining. Because you must be very present for that person and it's an energy exchange that's happening like that. And the person feeds on the energy as well. A lot of things you don't see that's happening is happening, mm. right? So there's energy transference. And the psychosomatic pain is absorbed, especially when someone is very needy. And the money bit, right, is actually a transfer of energy as well. Mm. So, so I realized that Corinne does a lot of pro bono work mm-hmm. as well. It's not just about money. And, you know, even though a session I have to pay her a fixed rate, usually when we go over to two hours, there was once we even did three hours, she would just charge me that one hour fee. So there are ways of, like, for example, people who have got problems and they're not able to, like for me, uh, people are able to come to my site and book a discovery call with me. And my discovery call is not a sales call. My discovery call is always, what are your, what's the problem? When you, when you book a discovery call with me, you have to tell me what are the problems, right? What challenges are feeling? I will try my best to resolve the questions that you put on the form within that call itself. At least some way for you to tangibly be able to move on to the next step without hiring me. Mm-hmm. It's not a sales call, mm-hmm. right? So there are ways and there are a lot of people, especially people who are very aligned with this kind of work. We have a lot of heart. Mm-hmm. So I will not turn away someone who is in need and has no money and I say, hey, oh, when you got the money, then you can't see me. I'm not that kind. No! But of course, there are people who are like that, right? But I'm saying that there are a lot of light workers out there. I like to call us, us light workers. We're putting so much light out and we want to bring out the light in people. That is the piece of the work that lights us up, not the money. Wow. Mm. And uh, to, to switch gear a little bit mm. uh, and pull out, um, what is your ultimate currency of life? Oh my god, I love this question because I teach the concept of the currency of life and happiness, right? And um, that, you know, we have exchange rates, the yen, the US dollar, it you know fluctuates and stuff like that. So I always tell people that every dollar that you make in your business and in life comes with a cost and it has a variable exchange rate. So before you accept this job from a toxic client, you got to think, this dollar that you make, are you going to 
earn this dollar with three dollars of pain? Or are you going to earn this dollar using five dollars of your time with your family? Or worse, one dollar you make, it costs you ten dollars in health. So you be very mindful, not all dollars are equal. So that's a concept I teach. So thank you for this question. The currency of my life is to see other people succeed and be happy and thriving. That is my currency. Um, as you grow older, you will realize that you have less and less material needs and more and more soulful, spiritual needs. And that has to come from everybody around you being okay. That's enough. And that is so priceless, right? When everyone is healthy, uh, everybody leads a pain-free day. I think that's such a big blessing. Every day that is pain-free. You see, the thing is, when we are okay, we don't feel anything, right? We, we are functioning properly right now. We don't feel anything. So we have nothing to be grateful for almost like, because you don't feel anything. It's only when you have the ulcer in your, t- your mouth or a pain somewhere and you, you, it draws attention to it. And then you go like, oh, I'm sick. But when we are well, we don't go, oh, I'm well. The wellness doesn't feel like a thing to you. You know, you take things for granted. This is how bad we are conditioned. So I tell myself, if I have today that is pain-free, at night I'm able to crawl into my, my bed, comfortable bed, I'm going to crawl underneath my sheets. Oh my God, I'm so blessed. Like, I'm so blessed. Or you have to feel it like you cannot be just lip service. Like, you have to really feel it. But a lot of people when they're young, they won't feel like that much. Well, I almost think that gratitude journaling is yes. a hack for, for yes, feeling that, right? I do that too. It works. One of the very basic tools that I picked up during my recovery period with Corinne is to be very expressive and tactile. Uh, and also because I mind-body disassociation. So for me to kind of put everything back again, I have to do a lot of writing because it's brain, motto, and body. So, so a lot of writing. And then when you write, you sort out a lot of the mess and the wires. Mm. It's just the way that the language puts everything in place. Actually, that might be a really good tool for someone who has no money. Yes, of course. There are a lot of things that you can Journaling. practice. and stuff. There's, You know what? Everything is a Google click away right now. You have a problem. You, first, you've got to ask the right question. Nah. If, you, if you don't even know what questions to ask, then of course, you don't know where to direct yourself. Yeah. But now everything, like, you know, you were talking about Quora, right? You have a lot of people willing to give a lot of really good answers and a plethora, a plethora and a range of answers. You know, there's no one right answer, right? It's what's right for you right now. So if you have a question, ask the right question. There are a lot of resources out there that's free. You don't have to pay. You can do self-help. I mean, I buy a lot of self-help books. I'm a self-help junkie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you um, define happiness? Happiness is uh, not a destination. Happiness is a state. It's in the everyday. So happiness can be that your environment is very fucked up but I can feel very happy, right? Uh, people who's everything going well for them can, very successful people, you see a lot of celebrities killing themselves because they feel empty inside. So successful people, but, but they feel empty inside. They are a real thing. We have a lot of those people walking around. Okay, outwardly, they're successful. Like my friends who have poster wife, poster kids, what poster job. Because it's not, they, because they didn't, take enough care 
to design their life that is for them. They are living a life that is for other people and defined by society. I think the impulse and the instinct for us, um, wellness is something that is so important and so crucial, but we don't do it because we are so conditioned to follow what society decides is best for everyone and we don't question it because we've been brought up this way, especially in Singapore. Everything is economically driven, right? It's all about getting the best paying job. And we are brought up in like, it really depends on what your parents feed you, right? Your parent will say, get the best job, study this, study that, don't study this because money you're要做演员,你要唱歌,你要做YouTube channel, but actually, a lot of people make a lot of money these days. Like, okay, but you've got to gain mastery. You've got to gain mastery and you can, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity in that. But the thing is, the previous generations are all about safety, right? And it's all about cookie-cutter, template kind of life. So in Singapore, I always feel that we are all chasing the very, very <sighs> soulless metrics of success, like money, currency. That's the only currency people know. And I think you say that because you have gotten it and it didn't feel... Yes. Yes. No, it's, it's not like I got it. But the thing is, I've always followed my heart. So yeah. when I make that dollar, it feels damn good. But I don't... I'm not making that dollar for that dollar's sake. For me, if the dollar doesn't come, it's fine because I'm happy in the doing. I'm in a happy state. Mm-hmm. That's why I mean that it doesn't matter your external uh, 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 circumstances and your environment. If you have proper alignment between your values, your passions, what you like doing, your where you are best able to express yourself, right, the passion bit, then you're going to be happy in the everyday doing. And guess what? The thing is, why did the money not become a problem for me? It's because I am so ingrained in the doing. I love what I do so much. I gain mastery. I do a good job. There are certain values that are important to me as well, which is the quality of the work. The pricing has to be right. You have to service people well. You have to be honest. You have to be authentic. You have to have integrity. Then when all these things align, the money is going to come. Therefore, my, my definition for serial entrepreneurship, do what you're passionate about, right? follow your heart, and then the money will sort itself out. Mm. That, if you want, is the formula. Right? So to me, happiness is definitely a state. Okay? And it can be in the smallest things. It can be like, oh my God, this coffee is so good. Or it can be, today is a good day because I had such a great connection with Brian. We spent two to three hours really talking about things that we want to talk about. A conversation that is meaningful, hopefully, to other people as well. But it's definitely meaningful for me today. And I feel so um, grateful for this opportunity to be invited. This is an opportunity for you to to pick my brains, for me to share. But not because I want to tell everyone, it's not. It's because my value, the happiness is in the this, right? And if you look at my gratitude journal, if you look back, every day that is like, actually my, my days are all very good. Right? Okay, always smiley, smiley, smiley. No matter how fucked up it is, it's always smiley. But when the exceptionally good days are always, it's not always, it's never like, oh, I've clinched big job with this company. It's not, it's never that. It's always, oh my God, I had such a great conversation with this person in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh my God, I made a waiter's day by acknowledging his presence and thanking him for his amazing service. Uh, he, he, and he said, oh my God, you are the first person who actually saw me. Mm. So that makes my day. So that's happiness to me. And I think happiness to me is also when I see everyone is thriving, success, doing well. 
um, you don't have to get there yet, but in the process of getting there, you are happy and I'm happy for you. Like, like you said, you're excited about your website. You showed me and I was like, oh my God, I so share your excitement. I so share your excitement. I will look at it. Oh my God, when is it going to get released? It's almost like it's my website. Yeah. So when people are excited and happy, it juices me up. And it is not something that um, I consciously do. It's just built into my DNA. It's a very natural thing for me to feel happy when people are happy. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I do want to underscore a, a thing uh, that you said there um, uh, with regards to checking in with yourself, like what gets you excited in the day mm-hmm. and then reflecting back. Because I, I would say that if you have not done your uh, gratitude journal, you wouldn't know that that was the Correct. thing that brought Correct. you... Correct. I saw I, patterns, yes. Yeah, and because... Uh, and, and we are not really good at... I mean, if you're just living our day-to-day life, not know, knowing good like what... Uh, activities bring mm-hmm. us emotional rewards. Correct. So I think it's always important for us to, that's why mindfulness practice bit is very important because otherwise life is just happening to us and at us, you know, but we have to unpack a lot of things. And if we bother enough to slow down, because when everything is moving to us, like when you're driving, when you're moving very fast, you see the trees, you don't, it's just... But if you slow down, and they say slow down, smell the roses, I mean, you know, that's when you can really appreciate and you know the nuances and you really sit down and you check in with yourself. This is all mindful practice and that's why meditation is a key thing that I will encourage everyone to do. And and I want to come back to one of the points that you mentioned earlier with regards to um, doing what you're passionate about and making a business out of it. Mm. Because uh, on one hand, that sounds like great advice. Yes. But on the other hand, what if you just likes to to play? Uh, I don't know. Let's like sleep. Like right. Sleep is your passion. <laughs> exactly. I know. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or oh, watch Netflix. Yeah. This I'm going to do. Uh, my next cornerstone post on my site is going to be about passion. Okay. Because I think that everybody, firstly, everyone has been saying, follow your passion. Follow your passion. You know, chase your passion. You know, follow your heart. Right. And because everybody has said that enough times, there will be another camp of people that will say that is the worst kind of advice. Following your passion is your worst kind of advice, right? So that's the second camp now. And that's the, the very um, invoke fashionable way now for you to kind of dispute the passion is important thing. So everyone is saying following passion is bad advice, it's bad advice. I'm going to come up with the third camp now, right? Which is, which is, this, this is not right or wrong. To say that passion is the worst, chasing your passion is the worst advice is also the worst advice. Okay, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. If there were two that I would choose to disagree, I would disagree with passion is the worst, chasing your passion is the worst advice, I will disagree with that more than chasing your passion. Here's why it's important. I always tell people, the last slide that I always share, the last thing that I share with all my corporate training or anybody that I talk to is always follow your heart if it doesn't end there, there's another slide that says, but don't forget to bring your brain with you. So this is the same thing as you apply it to passion. Always follow your passion. But there are conditions attached. You have to qualify what your passions are because passion alone, singularly, if you put a full stop there, is you have to unpack it further. There are opportunities in certain passions and there are no opportunities in certain passions. So you've got to qualify what passion it is first. Right? Having said that, I think that this is what uh, Quick Xiaoyin, which you, whom you had on your show, she's, she talks about passion a lot. This is exactly what uh, I agree with her totally. She, her concept is don't just stop talking about passion. Right? 
how can we mature passion into its next level, which is compassion? Okay, and the difference between passion and compassion is this gap that's filled by empathy, right? And why is empathy so important when we are business people? It's because we are listening and we're paying attention to the yearnings, the problems that people need solving, the demand, right? And when we have enough empathy to understand where people, what people need, what problems they have, and we convert our passion into offerings, because we have a lot of compassion to solve this bit, it becomes an opportunity. It becomes a business opportunity. Because your passion has to meet a problem that people are willing to pay money for. You can say, I'm so good at sleeping. Okay? If it ends there, how are you going to make money? Right. Nobody's going to pay you $2 for what every one hour of sleep. Well, maybe if let's say you are a lab rat for a sleep study, maybe you can turn that, that's an opportunity, but you've got to match that passion onto a problem that people are willing to pay you money for. And for you to be able to solve a problem, then you have to gain mastery. Right? So that's why passion cannot be taken wholesale on its own at the end there. It has to be tagged to something. There must be an end or a but which is, is there an opportunity in this passion? Do you have mastery in the solution that you're providing to solve this problem? And when you have that intersection, you have a business. Mm. You have an opportunity. And like what Xiaoyin said, as long this world, people are thinking like, okay, maybe job opportunities are drying up, you know, the world, the future feels like so scary, you know, we're all going to lose our jobs. No, she put it very nicely. As long as there are human beings, there will be human problems to be solved. As long as there are human problems to be solved, there will need to be solutions. And then you are supposed to see how you can creatively come up with a solution based on the passion that you have. It's creative problem solving. So that's the formula. Lah. That's great. Is it clear? Is it clear? Uh, yes. Is it clear? <laughs> Guys? Yeah, passion, yes, is very important. Because you know why? Yeah. Starting a business is very difficult. Mm. It's going to be, there's going to be a lot of suffering. Mm. So I always tell people, what are you willing to suffer for? It's just yeah. like when I did my web design. Yeah. The process was so fun. I was willing to suffer in a way that, okay, I am able to uh, call people. Law. I, my, my skin is thick enough to flip and call people and, and almost beg for a job. Law. Because I believe in what I do so much. Mm. But if you don't believe, you don't have that passion, you'll be like, you don't even believe in your own product. You think you're going to have that thick skin to call people. Everything will feel like pulling teeth, right? So, so that's why no matter whether you do a job you like or don't like, whether it's your own business or you're working for somebody else, you will suffer. All things being equal, why don't you do something you're passionate about? Simple or not? Very simple, simple right? Yeah. What are things um, um, you need to unlearn, mm. to be happy. Okay, one of the biggest mindset shifts that I had out of the six-month recovery, like explosion one, okay. was I came up with this mantra, enough is plenty. Mm. You want to unpack that? Okay, so for me, my problem in the past was that overachiever, perfectionist, do-do-do-do-do-do, never-ending, sleep is a waste of time, you know, more-more-more-more-more-more-more-more-more, okay. Everybody is like that, ma. More, 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 more money, more money, more money. So I always ask people, what comes after more, more, and more? The answer is more, more, and more. So it will never stop if you never have enough. Okay? So for me now, that I decide, okay, now I have to get clear on what is enough then. Because if you have enough and you are clear that it is enough, 
That means you calculate. You got to calculate. Okay, you got to do some math, and you got to get clear. It cannot be a hazy concept. Okay, once you have clarity around what is enough, everything else is fluff and bonus and extra, and you don't need it. And then it's plenty. And then there's no scarcity. There's no neediness. There's no more need for needless, mindless hustling. When you know right now it is enough, and when you are there, you are no longer a beggar. You can be a chooser. Wow. Okay, clear or not? Yes. Yeah. So that's that's Love how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel very passionate when I talk about these things because I it really it really worked for no, me. No, and, and I would even go so far to say that yesterday one of my favorite quote on the article that I wrote is, um, what is this? If um, if you do not know what is enough, the default answer is always more. Oh my God! Yes. Oh my god! I didn't say that, shucks. But yeah, it's good. That's great. Exactly. It's it's the same. It's a different take of the same thing. Yes. So for me, how it applied is that I realized that really, you know, I've got uh, a roof over my head. You know, um, I, I every luxury item that I I want, yeah. I can do it less. Definitely, I don't need anything more. Mm-hmm. Um. So I realized, okay lah, no need to do any more. Any law. Focus on yourself, your health, your family, your people, doing joyful work, being more discerning and selective about what you say yes to. So then uh, it, started me, it started me on this journey of decluttering um, and uh, very Marie Kondo, you know. <laughs> Start to like, okay, does this spark joy? You know, you, you hold a piece of clothing and go, does this spark joy? And then also you take a project, you also, does this spark joy? Like you want to hire someone, you want to does this spark joy? Or like when Brian got, got in touch with me to do this interview, hmm, is it going to spark joy? It, you know, it's, it, the decision process becomes like that. Yeah. Right? I love it. Um, let's let's shift you a little bit on some of the new uh, newer stuff that you're doing. Okay. On this uh, <laughs> r- uh retreat that you just uh, uh uh did for can I can I can I say it? Uh yes. Okay. Uh, Design Council. Yeah. Design Singapore. Council. Yeah. On oh a call how to human dream right. Client. Yeah, dream client. So um maybe let's tell me a little bit about the thinking behind the shape and the structure of this course. Um and what are some of the biggest pain point uh, you designed this course to tackle? Okay. Also oh, the retreat. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So this retreat was something that I was not prepared to do. And in my mind, the vision I had was to first focus on my personal coaching. And then I was going to maybe in two to three years time graduate to doing corporate retreats. Except that this opportunity came last year. It came knocking around September last year. And that was when I just really just started my dannybunny.co thing. And, but I have had in a couple of years before that been giving talks. And I gave a talk at the National Design Center um, for a group of designers and my topic was about designing your life. That talk was so well received and then somebody uh, from the uh, Design Singapore Council, one person was actually there. So fast forward, many, 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 many months later when they decided to bring in a corporate trainer my name started floating around in the office, right? right? So they called me and um, they were very interested to work with me. So of course, they asked me if I did this or not. Then I was like, no, I don't, but I'm very excited about this opportunity. I think I can. So I need to understand what your pain points are. So of course, I went in and I saw the directors. I met the team. I saw all their intel. Um, And then they they asked me questions like, are you certified as a trainer? Do you have a PhD in psychology or organizational behavior communication? I'm like, no, no, and no. Do you have a signature program? 
No. Have you trained any other corporate settings in corporate setting? No. Then they said, so how, why should we hire you? I said, I don't know. You all reach out to me. I didn't ask for the job. I didn't pitch for the job. But I said, but look, um, if you want me to sell myself to you, I can honestly tell you that I can deliver a kick-ass retreat experience that's tailored to your pain points because I know how to solve it. So moving on, my program that I came up with after listening to them and looking at all the feedback was the program was called How to Human. I came up with the name How to Human. And I realized that that really is the solution to a lot of the problems in a corporate setting because we have all, because of the corporate suits and the corporate armor that we put on, because it's a shark eat shark kind of world, mm. you know, for fear of being abused or taken advantage of or being hurt, yeah. people suit up, right? And you, and then you have all this ego that is cock blocking everything, conversations, right? So if you look at communication, you look at corporate culture, and you look at trust, it's a big word, it all boils down to the fact that somehow we've forgotten how to connect as human beings. Mm. And I feel that if we all strip away, the only KPI I had for myself for the retreat program was that by noon, I wanted everybody to be stripped off the corporate armor and leave it at the door. Mm. At the end of the day, I wanted everybody to have a good day. Those were my two KPIs. Very simple, right? And then I achieved that. And I realized that if we are able to connect human to human as human beings and really put aside all the ego, okay, all the pride, personal agendas, you realize that we all want the same things. And it boils down to just a few of the same things, right? We want safety, security, we want to be appreciated, we want to be loved, but we also want to love. We want to be helped but we also want to help because there's so much joy and happiness in just helping someone, in just making a difference in someone's life. That kind of feeling you get is pure joy. And I'm like, yeah, so if you can strip away all this and learn how to human, then other problems will solve itself. I was like, if I have eight hours with these people, what is the one thing that I can do that's going to make everything else easier? So that was the basis of my program. And it was very well received. And uh, I have, at the end of the day, people come up to me, hug me, and cry and say, Dan, I don't know how you make vulnerability so attractive. It makes me feel like I want to go out and bear my heart to the world. And I say, but that's because you feel safe with me. And if you guys, you, the 50 of you can feel safe with one another in that way, you can do anything and you can achieve anything and you can solve any problem. Because your ego is not caught blocking. You know, and um, it was a beautiful experience. Uh, I poured in my heart and soul and everything. Again, the way I built the, the website, I built the course this way. After that, I was totally exhausted, drained. And I left Singapore. I went to Changu, Bali yeah. for one month, for a whole month, November. At first, I wanted to go there and do my thinking retreat and to decompress and to do some creative work. I was so spent and exhausted. I didn't do anything. <laughs> I needed the one whole month to recuperate. So anyway, um, what's exciting is that uh, as a result of that, uh, now, uh, later this month, April, I'm doing a corporate retreat. Also, How to Human with People's Association. Uh, So another, probably a dream client Mm -hmm. who believes in doing, investing in people um, and humanizing and bringing humanity into the workplace. And I think that's a, a crucial part, piece of the puzzle that's missing in a lot of corporate settings. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, what are some of the more um, 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 effective activities that you you you, you do that most causes uh, or most retreats don't? I don't know. You know, because uh, you don't have an yeah, experience. Because you know <laughs> sure, why? Sure, sure. I told you right. My style is I don't care what other people are doing. Right. Uh, I don't do a lot of what they call business pornography where you go and look at what other people are doing and then you try and like blue ocean, red ocean. I mean, although I teach people to do the blue ocean strategy. <laughs> but the thing is, I feel like for me, um, if I'm well equipped to answer a question, I devise the mechanism or the way the, the worksheets and the workflow um, are designed in such a way that I know it was going to help. Mm. So there's a lot of thought and design into... You know, very funny, all these civil service companies, right? They, they are very used to being everything very structured, very locked down. So when they asked me for the program rundown, uh, they asked me, you know, they needed to know the control freaks, right? They needed to know what I was delivering. I said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. Then they said, cannot, you must give. Then I said, my program is going to be full of awakening moments uh, where I literally go in and slap your face, right? I said, <laughs> I will give you a slap to the left or right or maybe at your forehead or maybe punch you in the nose, uh. I'm, I'm going to tell you, okay, afternoon, 9 to 10 o'clock, I'm going to slap me on your breath. Then 10 to 11, I'm going to punch you on your nose. Then you're going to what? You're going to spend the hour anticipating when the punch is going to come. And then when I deliver it, you might dodge it or it might not be effective. Right. So I say when I deliver a punch or a hard moment, it has to be impactful. And part of the design of my program is that you don't know what's coming. Mm. Then they say, okay, la, we can don't know, la, but then my bosses need to know. Ma. Then I say, yeah, but the bosses are the ones that need the most slapping and punching. Mm. So nobody's going to know what I'm going to deliver. Then they said, then how do we know if you're going to be good or not? I said, you'll find out. <laughs> I said, okay. So yesterday also, I had a conversation with People's Association. Yesterday, literally. Yeah. How do we know if it's going to be good or not? I said, you just have to have a leap of faith. Yeah. <laughs> and then I said that if it's going to be bad, I won't take a single cent from you. And then you learn not to hire me ever again. You can tell the whole world that I'm not no, good. And, and really, I love this strategy because it, it firstly puts you uh, on the line to deliver good work. Yes. And then it takes the stress off of you. Because you're not, you're able to just re- refund, right? And that comes with knowing what is enough. Yes. Yeah, so I told them, I said, look, I don't need this job again. I didn't pitch for it. You guys came to me. And after you came to me because you're government, right? You have to go and talk to other vendors, right? In the end, you still chose me. Why? I don't have certificate. I don't, I'm not a PhD in anything, right? But my, method- my methodology works. I've got the heart in it. Mm. I can even do this if you don't pay me. It's yeah. fine. I'm ready to do that. Actually, I'm, I'm so maybe let me ask a, a more specific question in terms of um, warm up ap- activities mm. that, that, that you do that you know allow them to loosen up. Okay, so the first thing I do yeah. for every retreat, every talk I do is I ask everybody to breathe with me. Mm, so it's like a mindfulness practice. Yes, it's breathe. Firstly, because usually before everything, I'm very nervous. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to like <sighs> myself also. But I always feel that um, I want everybody to be in sync. It's a synchronized. Mm. Let, let's sync our time. Yeah. Right? Let's sync our breaths. Mm. Let us start everything, the whole experience today. And I always end with three breaths together as well. And every, uh, every sprint that I do, like sprint one, two, three, or after a coffee break, or after lunch, I come back, let's do the breathing exercise. Wow. <sighs> it's to bring everybody back. It's the thinking. So I do little things like this. La. Like yeah. it's not anything that is solely high, but it's small little things that I feel makes a big difference. 100%. Yeah. 100%, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I think so too. Yeah, we should I, have I done like breathing just now before yeah, the start. Yeah, yeah. I, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also maybe another question to ask is, what did you learn from your first uh, retreat? And uh, how would you design the second retreat? A little bit 
differently based on these learnings? Okay, so uh, what I learned from the first retreat was that I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, I was very, very proud of myself for stepping up to the opportunity. I could have just chicken out and said, no, I don't want. Because I, it was very scary. It was like, I've never done this before. And there's a whole lot of work, a lot of work. I had to start from scratch. I had no material, you know. Yeah. And I had to go in and customize something. I'm not teaching like a Six Sigma. I mean, no offense to that, but I'm not teaching a, a, a something that's already kind of everything is perfected. It's a, and I'm just, I coach, I learn, I get certification, I can teach. I was like trying to really creatively solve a problem from scratch. And I had to immerse myself in the company. I had to bring a lot of empathy. Really enjoyed the process, even though it took everything out of me. Mm-hmm. Felt really good about myself. Told myself that I would do it again if somebody would hire me. Mm. Uh, was very grateful that I had this opportunity way earlier than I had, had planned. Mm. Uh, Design Singapore Council, they are a dream client to me. Mm. Very, very amazing people. I have, I have so much love for these people, especially after having worked with them intensively for that day. Mm. I get invited to events and I go and I have so much affection for them. They have recently announced a change in director. So um, yeah, Agnes is leaving. I'm very sad. Um, uh, but uh, I like that uh, there's renewed energy and stuff and you know personally I want her to thrive as well so I, I learned that I learned all that about the work that I'm doing this is what I want so I got validation and I was paid good money for it I'm like oh my god getting paid for what I want like and then um, what else did I learn okay so your other question is how would I do it differently um, I would not do the whole thing by myself for 8 hours <laughs> So it's just a one day, eight hours course, is that what it is? One person, I did everything myself. The one with People's Association, uh, because of budgeting constraint, they have decided that they can only hire me for half a day. So I was like, why? Oh, hey, I just my problem. <laughs> so I cannot do eight hours because initially I was going to think of uh, how can I cut out certain pieces to bring in other experts in. Mm. So I become a facilitator. I teach certain components, yeah. but then I can mix in certain bits. And of course, these bits that I bring in has to be meaningful and tied to the organization's yeah. problems as well. But one thing I learned is that doing this whole retreat by yourself, because I'm high energy. If you know I'm a very high energy person, right? I, I, I eight hours like, like manic. And then they go like, then uh, I don't know how you keep your energy so high. Like, like, what are you on? I said, wow, you should have seen me when I was in my 20s. I'm already very mellow. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, to answer your question, yes, I will, I will take care of my energy yeah, more. Yeah. Otherwise, I'll be, I need another month in Changgu. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, let, let, me, let me switch gear a little bit as it's coming to the end. Um, what are the few big mental blocks for, for creative uh, uh, to be entrepreneur? Like, you know, what do you see out there? Okay. Uh, what I see often is that people who are very good at what they do in a corporate setting, they feel that su- suddenly if they do their own business, they're not going to be good at it. <laughs> like how, how? That they suddenly feel like they're not good at anything and they feel like imposter syndrome, right? It's a very common thing. Feel that you're not good enough. Who are you? Who are you to teach? Who are you to do this? Who are you to do that? So my question is always, who are you not to do it? Right? Like when you first got a day job, weren't you a baby? Didn't you learn? Would you go in the job and ask yourself, who are you to ask for a job? No. So the same thing, right? You just have to align and manage your expectations. That in the beginning, it's going to be slow. At the beginning, it's going to be tough, right? So that's what's caught blocking a lot of people, which they feel that it's imposter syndrome. Who are they? They don't feel confident enough. There's a lot of fear. Uh, also, another one is they're not very clear. Um, this, this, okay, you're going to spend a lot of time doing the intersection bit. You know, the passion, skill set, mm. problem, 
to solve a, a, a solution to solve a problem that people are willing to pay for, coming to that intersection is going to take time. That is the bit that a lot of people can't crack. Um, but the thing is, it's not about, okay, ding, 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 come up with a perfect answer. It's not. It more, 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 usually, it's about trying, 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 then pivot, 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 then, oh, this is the one. So if you're gonna sit there and ask me to give you a perfect answer to what you should do by after after I talk to you, some clients will say, then let me tell you my whole story, huh? Then can you tell me what is the best job I should do? I'm like, no, hell no, I'm not gonna tell you that. So you, I think you might have suggestions. Yes. And they need to take Yes, because it's a very personal to, thing. To... And also at the end of the day, if you have such an approach, you're wrong already. Yeah. Salah already. The approach should be, I'm gonna try. Mm. I'm gonna do it. And see how I feel. Yep. Whether I like it, whether I don't like it. Because you know what? You can imagine that you like something. Until you try it, you won't know for sure. Mm-hmm. You might be like, oh my god, I really hate this speed. I don't like it. Oh my god. Or it could be, oh my god, everybody's going to love this product. You do it, then you launch crickets. Eh, 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 eh. Nobody fucking cares. Right. Because you are solving a problem. And it doesn't feel like a problem to them. They're not even problem aware. Mm. So then you are wrong, right? So... I'm not going to tell you all this. Because at the end of the day, there are so many different uh, ideas. I am strong in certain things. I'm weak in certain things. You might be an architect. I'm not in the right position to tell you what you can do as an architect because I'm not an architect, right? But I can, I can tell you the framework and the way to do this. And the process. And the process should be this rather than that. So if you're telling me you want to sit there and think your way through and to come up with the best business idea and when you launch it, it's going to be a huge success. Wrong. You got it all wrong already. Entrepreneurship is a lot about pivoting, exploring, and micro-adjustments along the way. And even when you do it like my panoramic Im- uh, imaging thing, I told you I've got, we have got a good run for three to four years. Does that mean that we're going to cruise forever? No, right? New technology is coming in. Prosumer cameras are better right now. Everybody go in the room can do a 360 right now. Then people still need you for what? You got to pivot, mm. right? Either you do something else, different offering, or shut it down. And you're quick in that too. Yeah, so you go in your mind and then you go, this is just the way it is. Yeah. And you have to be okay with it, mm. right? So this is the process. And I tell people, really, at the end of the day, you don't have to um, figure out everything. A lot of it is about good enough, let's just do it. And then we try and then we see. And a lot more clarity is going to come from the doing. And when you are stuck again, let us unpack that further. But until you, you do it and then you meet the problem and we unpack, don't go and imagine all the problems you have to unpack in phase two and phase three when you have not even done phase one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is how I think yeah, I would coach people. Oh my God, a lot of tough love. But <laughs> I'm like that with my clients. Yeah. Like, no, wake up! <laughs> Yeah, I think a big part of it is really just changing the way of how people think about things. Yes. And, 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 and a great coach would be one that lead them to the answer instead of mm-hmm. telling them the mm-hmm. answers, isn't mm-hmm. it? A lot of it boils down to expectations. You look at a lot of the negative emotions that we feel, whether it's ang- anger or disappointment or fear, it's, sometimes it's got to do with expectations or even just giving up prematurely an idea like for entrepreneurs. It's around fear. It's because of expectations. If you tell yourself that it's okay to experiment, it's okay to just go where curiosity leads you, it's okay to fail, but let's fail fast and recover fast also. Mm. right and then when we celebrate we celebrate quick mm. right but then we go on right if if you have all these expectations then you are it's almost like inoculation you know and you will be well um supported in t- mentally to pursue a business because it's going to be tough huh? mm. <laughs> yeah it's not for everyone yes mm. um and and since we're on that also like are there any telltale signs of people who should not be an entrepreneur. 
Yes. So there are a lot of people who, uh, even before I started to do uh, like formal coaching, a lot of my friends would like to pick my brains. So they will buy me coffee. Hey, I'll buy you a coffee, you know, they pick your brains. Then they will tell me their business ideas. Uh, and you know what? My default state is I, I encourage people to pursue their ideas, start their business, quit their day job. I love it when people tell me that, oh, they're in transition, like the, our camera woman here. I love it when I hear someone is in transition yeah. because I'm like, it, it, oh my God, it, to me, it signifies possibilities and that is so beautiful. Like when people tell me they broke up with someone, I'll be like, okay, let's mourn the relationship. I'll feel, oh, possibilities. <laughs> I always see that. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, you can date the whole world now. You know, and like, your world is an oyster. So, my default state is when someone tells me they want to do a business, you, you know me lah, I'll be like, do, 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 do. Yeah. But then uh, there'll be some people who tell me a business idea and then I go like, mm, you better don't do, man. <laughs> or like they tell me like the way they want to do it, I'm like, oh, you better don't do. Okay, telltale signs is when they don't care what they do, they are chasing the money. Mm. And don't do that. I do encourage. Where's the passion? Mm. Oh, my passion is the money. Okay, oh. I'm going to rob a bank. Uh. <laughs> Right? So that's one telltale sign when it's all just for the money. They don't care the who, the why. So they do the MLMs or whatever. I don't like it. Mm. I tell them, I say, don't talk to me. You My DNA and my values are not aligned with this kind. I don't want to coach people like that. Like how to, how to hack something, how to 10x your, your what by, by doing this hack or whatever. I hate it. I, I hate shortcuts. Right? Um, uh, I, I like clever, creative solutions. I don't like so too tai too. You know, I don't like to like, oh, low, uh, don't put in anything, want to get something. I have a lot of friends who want to do minimal work, but want to do a mm. lot of things, like, like want to get a lot of money. Ooh, right? Wrote about this. <laughs> yeah. And then I don't like people like that. Uh, that's another telltale sign. Don't do it because you have no tenacity. Uh, another one is um, um, they flip flop. They, they, they don't stick with their idea long enough to see through. So like three months now, they tell me, hey, 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 I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Uh, they, they, uh, and they hear somebody do this, then they follow trends, they always follow trends. Okay, so then, oh, no, no, dropshipping is very good. I do dropshipping, drop, 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 right? <laughs> then drop, 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 don't know what, three months later, I, I ask, I said, hey, how's the dropshipping? Oh, no, la, no, la, no money, la, not a lot of money, la, I think waste of time. La, and now I'm selling insurance already. Then I'll be like, okay. Then after that, another three months, I'm not selling insurance already, now I'm a financial planner. But like it keeps pivoting. I think pivoting is fine, but then you just keep flip flopping. And then when I tell you why you do that, they keep saying, oh, no, no, no money, no money, no money. I'm like But it comes back to one of the points you say earlier, because they're chasing Because them. they're chasing money, right? So so when there's no money, they punch out. And then the thing is, no matter what you do, you have to see through it before the money comes in, right? Of course there are certain things like maybe like now the rage and the rate is pow pow ta. Everyone is buying pow pow ta, right? So you do pow pow ta, you will make that quick money, that windfall, but it's not sustainable, mm. right? Because anything that is so easily low input, high output one, guess what? Everybody will be doing it. And then very quickly, it's not effective anymore, mm. right? So it always boils down to hard work, passion, mastery, quality. It cannot be any other way one, <laughs> okay? Or unless... Or unless you go in uh, with um, great business acumen and knowing that you're going to come out in yeah. three to four years, like bitcoins, lah. You buy bitcoin, the right? I had two thousand. I had two thousand bitcoins. You know, I had. What happened to that? Uh, that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, money. You see, so when my friends say, "Wow, wow, you know, you can totally retire now." I know what happened to your bitcoins. You what? Then they lament, 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 no. But I didn't feel anything. I'm right. like, why are you all so happy for me? I don't feel anything because you know why? I don't chase the money. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a great. That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah. Let's let's dive into some uh, uh, uh quick questions. Yes. Oh, this is the yeah rapid fire questions. Yeah. Um, what are what are some books or or, or books uh you have given most as a gift? Mm-hmm. I love this question. Um, I okay. It really depends who I'm gifting. Firstly, um. I I will have to see what state that person is in or what's applicable. This is a now, you know, and uh, whether that person is spiritual or not, it really depends. But personally, uh, the uh, not a book; it's a series of books that has the biggest impact on me is um, Conversations with God. It's by the author Neil uh, Donald Walsh. Well, his name is a mouthful. Neil Donald Walsh. It's a series of books. Um, and when I picked it up, it was book one, book two, book three, and I just learned that book four came out in two zero one seven last year, and he's since also spin off a lot of other mini series, and I think a total of eight or nine books now. But the 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 main pillar, the core, were three, and they were written back to back, and um, it's not anything that I'm not a Christian. I'm more Buddhist than anything, but I really believe in all sorts of religions. I believe in the universe, okay, and I believe in multiple things, so. For the longest time, I didn't want to pick up this book because I'm like, mm, God, God, you know, the, the word somehow is a bit too strong for me. But then, Corinne K was the one who said, Dan, I think you should read this book because you, have, you, are, uh, you question about life and I feel that you're ready to download more wisdom from the universe, right? And there are a lot of amazing questions in this series. Mm. So she said, start with the easiest book, which is book one, it's very thin. Then it gets thicker and then the last book was, bam, guess what? I, I, I absorbed it. I drank it like, like I was so thirsty. I read it. I didn't put down the book. It was a page turner for me. Wow. The premise is that this guy was very, very angry, the author, Neil. He was so angry with his life, right? He had a lot of questions, so he was very angry at God. So he asked God a lot of questions. Then suddenly, he received an answer. Like a voice came in, and then it started conversation, and he was supposed to write the book. So whether you believe it or not, God entered the conversation. So whether he's talking to himself or another part of himself, we're not sure. But the whole premise is that it was a conversation with God. But here's very interesting. The questions were very high level and the answers were super high level as well. And the author said that there's no way he could have articulated the answers that way, that well. So it must have been God. So it talks about uh, society, talks about institution. Questions like, are we alone? Is there another planet? Uh, are we the perfect civilization? Would there be other, better, more successful civilizations on other planets? Wow. Is there enough? Yeah. Um, are we one? Is there a, like, a God, God, who are you? God, if you're talking to me, who are you? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what are we here to do? You know, questions like that. Wow. So I won't spoil it for you, but it's a page turner. And there are a lot of hate explosions. Mm. Uh, and I'm definitely going to pick up book four because I just learned that it came out. Uh, in wow. 2017. So I've always uh, loved that book because I think it's a book that you can go back and read multiple, multiple times at different age uh, because it asks all the very philosophical questions and it comes with very interesting answers, mm. right? Um, but uh, the few key um, messages that it talks about, which is very central to my belief system, is that we are all one. There is enough. So don't have to have scarcity mentality. There is nothing else that we should or should not do. There is no right or wrong. It's your way. Your way is not better than anybody's way. It's just your way. There's no one right way. So these are the four key uh, things that it talks about. Another book that I would highly recommend is uh, Eckhart Tolle. 
or Eckhart Tolle, depending whether you pronounce it as a German name or English name, it's um, The Power of Now. It talks about how the human being is always never in the present because we're always focusing on what's going to come next. Mm. We're always focusing on the next moment because either we're miserable, we're unhappy here, or we're always waiting for something better to come along. So we don't celebrate and we're not present for the current moment. And then our brain is always like a pendulum, like past. Think about what I did, what I did wrong, regret, whatever. Oh, this person said something, I'm so angry, or what? replay, replay, replay. Or like future, oh, worry, worry, where's the next paycheck going to be, the bill, or whatever, what's going to happen? Oh my God, I'm going to poor, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to want, nobody's going to love me, you know? But then you forget exactly what's happening right in front of you. So it talks about the power of now. And then for anybody, let's say for example, my friends who are going through some hardship or a, a breakup or lost someone dear, I would buy any book that is from Pema Chodron. Mm. She's an American Tibetan monk and she talks about uh, navigating difficult times and navigate uh, difficult conversations. She deals a lot with um, emotions. What are the, if you were to choose a book? Oh, there's so many. I can't remember uh, off my mind, but uh, it's Pema Chodron. It's P-E-M-A-C-H-O-D-R-O-N and she has an amazing concept called Shenpa. S-H-E-N-P-A, which I encourage everybody to Google and listen to some of the talks about Shempa. It's about being triggered, certain emotions being triggered, especially like anger. Like how, and what can we do about it? Mm. So the whole concept of Shempa is how can we um, practice so that we are not easily triggered into like out by our amphibian brain and behaving like cavemen, you know, and you see people like fighting and, you know, quarreling in public, you know, that kind of behavior. How can we not be triggered? And how can we ventilate our bad emotions and be with the bad emotions? So, Pema Chodron, Eckhart Tolle, uh, and uh, Conversations of God. Yes. What have you purchased recently under $100 that has most impacted your life? It could be an investment of time, energy or you know okay, actually. I have two answers for you okay yeah sure okay because the first one is, is actually slightly more expensive than $100 okay but it's close to $100 because I got a good deal from a guy on carousel anybody who wants to buy a Kindle I bought a Kindle paper white uh, that is cheaper please you can ping Brian or ping me or whatever I know of this amazing seller on carousel that is original it's brand new and it's selling at very really good price I don't know how he got it okay. but anyway I've got one it's very close to $100 right. and it's very strange because I bought it because I asked the same question that you asked me uh, for one uh, one of our clients I oh. asked I said hey, so what did you buy recently that's below $100 that's really good and he said a Kindle as well so he also said it's above $100 so it's a cop out answer so I said Okay, so in the end, I went to buy because I love books, right? And right. I love the smell of books. I love, I love the dog ear. I like to write notes. I like to like, you know, highlight. I like to smell books. And then when I travel, I will actually travel with a luggage full of books when I'm like that, wow. you know? And in my Bangkok apartment, I have books that I haven't finished reading. It's all there, all dog ear and stuff. So for me to actually move onto a digital platform, it takes a lot of, uh, I don't know, I've tried it before on an iPad, didn't like it. But then they always say the Kindle is very different. So I bought it and oh my God, I've had it for about a month. And I love it. I've already read three books on it. Yeah. Uh, nothing will ever replace actual books for me. But the Kindle is a great experience. A substitute for travel. Yes. Yes. And it's um, the reading, because of the way the screen works and the print, it really mimics actual print. Um, and it's digital. You can actually highlight things as well. And then you can export it as PDF. Um, and it's cheaper also. And the reason why I bought the Kindle was because there was this new book that I wanted to read. 
read and buy. I check Kinokuniya, see Zapqui call at forty over dollars wow. But then on the Kindle store at nine ninety I'm like, oh my god! If I were to buy three books that has got the same same kind of difference in pricing, I would have made back the money that I invested in the right. Kindle. So that's my first answer. Okay. So the second answer that is really below a hundred dollars is a CD that I bought. Um, it's by Akina Nakamori. I'm a huge fan. Johnson Mintai. For those people who are old enough to know who she is, I'm the number one fan. She came out with two albums last year, year end, and there's this album that she came out. It's called Cage, and it's a tribute because it's a 35th anniversary. Yeah. So she wanted to tri- like come out with an album that celebrates her career. So she did a whole album of disco songs, Ooh. like influenced by in the 80s and 90s. And I've always wanted her to do disco because in her whole career she's never done disco. And oh my god, this album just. It's the best investment. It gives me so much joy when I listen to her. I don't know. I'm just happy. I'm in the mood. <laughs> so it's very good money spent. So awesome. <laughs> Aki, uh, how, how Akina Nakamori. Okay. Ming Tai. What is the worst advice or recommendations you see or hear being dispensed in your circle? Okay, two things. Uh, one thing I've already said, which is passion is overrated, yeah. that follow your passion is the worst advice, is the worst advice, okay? So that's, I've already taken care of that. But another thing, it's not so much advice, but a practice that I see uh, is that um, passive income. Hacks. Get rich quick schemes. And people who have never built a fucking business on their own trying to teach other people to build businesses. A lot of charlatans out there right now because everybody is trying to be a coach. Everybody is trying to coach on something. And then I feel like there are a lot of people who have not gone through and earned the stripes in what they're teaching and then they teach when they're not ready. And then a lot of people, you know, and that's one thing that I really hated. I mean, um, I, I say that I don't do business pornography that much, but um, there was this one guy that I was just trying to see what he was selling and he's like buying all these ads on YouTube, on Facebook. I'm just kept bombarded by it, even on Instagram. Kept seeing it. So I'll just see what she's selling. Again, it's trying to sell. It's a title of is it? Huh? It's not Ty Lopez, is it? No, 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 no. Uh, So this guy, I wouldn't name names. I don't like to name names then. And he... So I said, let's just check out what success formula he's selling, right? right, right? right. This program is not cheap, you know? It's like 5,000 USD. 5,000 a lot. 5,000 a lot. If you like exchange rate, there's a lot of money and sing dollars. That's fine, okay? That's fine. Maybe, you know, it's about the outcome that you can... Um, uh, bring, people. bring people. It's fine, okay? If maybe you can, you spend 5,000, you can 10 times your outcome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Great, okay? So I have no issue with that. Great, but, right. but that scares me already. Like, 5,000, it really scares me. I'm like, 5,000, seriously, then you got to sell a really good thing. So let's just see how you run it. Right. But what really put me off was um, in the FAQ section. Yeah. And I attended one of his live sem- seminars that wasn't live. It was actually on autoplay. I hate people to do that, huh? Right. They just auto loop the video. It's really pre-recorded right. webinar. I'm like, all this, like, okay. So I already know already. I discount already. But then, of course, in the FAQ, there were people who asked, like, oh, do you have any payment plans? Right. Like, uh, what would you say? Like, you know, money is tight right now. You know, I, I know that I should invest myself, but the 5000 is really expensive mm. and stuff. You know, I don't think I can. Guess what was his answer? There's no payment plan. There's no payment plan. Okay. And then they say, if you are poor right now and you have no money, all the more you should invest in this. All the more I'm questioning you why you are poor. I'm like, fuck. Don't buy anything from this person. He has no empathy. And he all just he just wants the money. Yeah. If it's me, I would totally say like, fine. There are scholarships, 
right? Yeah. I can give free. It's digital product for goodness sake. It's a digital product. It doesn't matter whether you sell it a ten, to one person or 10 person, 10 people or 100 people. Mm. It's the same cost of delivery to you. Mm. Maybe just a little bit of a Amazon server bandwidth that you have to pay for. That's it. Yeah. You know, and some payment processing fee. But I thought it was very irresponsible kind of uh, uh, advice. Wow. Like, if you have no money, all the more, all the more. It's like, wow, seriously? Mm. You know, are you so hard up for that 5,000 USD? Yeah. This is so bad. And guess what? These people, because they're so vulnerable yeah. and they're waiting to get a solution, they might back borrow steel for that 5,000, which they will take their whole lifetime to pay back and then dig themselves further into a hole. What I will do is I have got scholarship. Please tell me, do a quick video why I should help you, what you envision to do with this, you know, and things yeah. like that. Tell me a little bit of a situation. Okay. I'm willing to sponsor you. I don't believe in giving you freebies. I feel mm-hmm. that you should be invested in some way and your best, of, your way of investing is you tell me why I should give you this scholarship. Or I will tell you, let's just split it up. How much can you afford, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can afford a thousand. Okay, sure. So are you sure? Where is this thousand going to come from? It's going to come from your baby's milk powder fund or whatever. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, uh, maybe we can split it into five payments. You know? Yeah. Be a bit more creative. Or don't buy mine. Don't buy until yeah. you're ready. Yeah. Right? So that's why I don't like that's happening in the industry. Got it. Mm. What advice would you give to a smart, driven university student entering the real world? Going to the real world? Yeah. Uh, I will say... And what advice would you give? Okay, I will say, the world is your oyster. You have a clean slate right now. So, design your life with a clean slate is better than, you know, deconstructing and reconstructing later. Because there are a lot of people who are in their 40s, like my friends. They chase after the pot of gold, after the rainbow that promises them happiness, wealth, success and everything and fulfillment. They get there. They chase the wrong rainbow, sorry. And then the pot they get doesn't make them feel happy. They're empty. So I feel that right now when you're going out, you're fresh. This is the best time to put the horse ahead of the cart, not the cart ahead of the horse. So design your life. Explore, okay? And uh, go where curiosity leads you. Go where your, where your heart feels called, you know? And then the rest is going to follow. Mm. Don't chase after the money first because the money will come later. And then also, um, life and success is not a one thing it's always a series of things so so life is not like that not one straight line or a beautiful curve it's not it's, it's, it's very messy it's like that yeah. but you then have to bring a lot of a sense of curiosity a sense of exploration be willing to uh, roll with the punches you know and always always uplift one another while you're on your way to your own success take care of other people lift other people up as well take care of people around you um in are there any routines um, or habits you find important yes. morning or evening? Yes. So daily I do meditation. Sometimes I do two to three times depending on how frazzled I am. The more frazzled I am, the more sits I do. Each sitting is not long. Uh, at most it will be 15 minutes. Uh, and I just focus on um, clearing my mind or planting an intention and being in the now. Is there any type of meditation that you do or...? Uh, it's just breathing, very simple, anchoring. And sometimes I watch my body. Sometimes I do like I do. Um, if let's say I've got pains and stuff like that, I will sit with that pain for that ten to fifteen minutes, and I'll give it a lot of attention. Uh, sometimes uh, if I feel like I'm very well nourished, I will try and put light out. 
So what I do is, I know this is very woo-woo, okay, please don't hate me, but this is the way I am, okay? So what I do is I sit, when I meditate, I, I imagine myself to be this beacon of light, this bubble of light that just keeps expanding and going bigger and bigger and bigger. And I pull in people who are suffering, who I know are not well, they're sick, uh, like people who are not thriving in life. I pull in their names, I think of them, and I send them a lot of light. And then I try and think of like people that are like, outside of Singapore and it just gets bigger and bigger then it just like covers the whole earth oh. and then it goes even bigger and then the planet and then the solar system I just is also bigger bigger and then after that bong, times up then I stop <laughs> yeah so I do that kind of meditation as well different kinds uh, but I think it really doesn't there's no way you can go wrong with meditation as mm. long as you're willing to sit and be with yourself and by yourself uh, that's the uh, practice. And then another more long-term practice is every three to four months, I do a thinking retreat. I will extract myself and I'll get out of Singapore and I'll be by myself a lot of quiet time, a lot of solitude and give myself a lot of white space. So I will think about my life. I will strategize for my business creatively. I will unpack what I've done, uh, what, what I could do better. Just think and give myself that space. But the, think is, the thinking retreat is not the active sit there and think kind. It's really just planting the intention giving myself space, change of environment and vibes. Mm. And then usually a lot of my best ideas come when I'm away out of Singapore. So that's a routine. What a most common misconception about you or your work? About my work? That I don't work. <laughs> then you don't work. Then you don't sleep. Um, um, like, what do you do then, you know? Um, like, then you are Tai Tai. I'm like... What? Which Tai Tai work until she melt down one? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not a Tai Tai. I work very, very hard. But it might look like it's easy to you because it's very joyful for me. So that's one misconception. Um, another misconception is that, uh, you know, I've got it all figured out. Like, I've got all the answers. Then it's like, you know, that's what uh, drove me to my meltdown as well. Like, I had to have this conversation with my mom that, you know, I'm this perpetual problem solver in my family. Everybody thinks that I am so well settled and I'm very stable. So anybody who's got a problem will always come to me. My mom will bring my brother's problems to me. My auntie will bring... Everybody will come and ask me to to to, to solve their problem. And because I, I, I'm such a... I don't know, I have such a big empathy. I end up, um, before my meltdown, down um, taking on everybody's uh, problems and I internalize it and I make it mine uh, and it become it became very exhausting wow. uh, so that misconception is that I can solve everybody's problem I, I've got it all together no I've just I've got my fair share of problems and my challenges as well except that I don't bring it home because I feel that my grandmother and my mom has been through a lot they have really brought us up and my best way of being filial to them and you know and loving them is not to bring my problem home because they're going to end up they're old folks they'll end up worrying right and then actually a lot of the problems they can't solve for you one I don't want that to, you know, I don't want to worry them. So I don't do that. Mm. Um, what conversations would you like uh, people to have more? Yes. Thoughts to take away, to consider, to try or otherwise? Oh, so many things. Um, but I, I really, really want to everybody to think about how we can all win together. One of the concepts I teach is that the world is moving away from a triangular formation where everything is um, triangular. So you have a few successful people on the top 
and uh, they kind of I depend on uh, a lot of people working for a few successful people on top. So you see this in uh, all control or power. It's all centralized, you know, on very few people. And even like Pareto's principle, how 10% of the wealth is in like, you know, 90% of wealth is in the top 10% of the people. So it's all triangular. You see in governments, you see in schools, you see in the economy and stuff. But I think slowly because of technology and because everybody, there's this um, awakening, mass awakening that's happening right now. People are well-traveled, well-read, you know, more connected. We are moving away from triangular formation to a circular formation and this circular formation allows everybody to bring their unique gifts to the table and we all win together so the conversation I would like people to have and to talk a little bit more and to think about more is how can we have more community and less competition community over competition and how we can all help one another and succeed and thrive together uh, and how we can get you know avoid the scarcity mentality and how, how can I help you? I always feel that the best thing that we can do that will change the dynamics of every conversation is you sit down and whether it's a business setting or personal setting, you ask, what can I do for you today? Like, what can I do to help you? Mm. Yeah. So you just tell me and if I'm the best person to serve you, I'll serve you law. But if I cannot, I'll guys or somebody else. Mm. Yeah. That's a way of serving you as well, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, where can people find you? On in your projects on the interwebs. Uh, okay, so uh, you can just find me at dannybunny.co dot co. And the reason why it's not dot com was that I used to have that um uh, URL during my blogging days, but then I I stopped blogging, so I gave up that domain. And then when I wanted to buy it back, the guy wanted to sell it to me at two over two thousand over dollars USD. And I was like, no, I'm just going to drop the N and make it even shorter. So it's dannybunny.co, not .com. You can find me there. And uh, on Instagram, I'm, I'm happy Danny Bunny. I'm not on Instagram all the time, but I post at least once a week. Uh, I try not put out noise. Uh, I try and put out when it's meaningful. Um, what else? Uh, also, a new business that I'm building uh, with uh, one of my very talented friends, Rebecca. Again, it's collaboration. Uh, it's community over competition. Is that we've decided to start this business called Lito, L-I-T-O. And uh, we are a combination of a portraiture photography studio with copywriting services and web design. And the reason why we did this was because um, I was teaching a business, a six-week business course in my Facebook group. Because everyone was asking about this side hustle that I started that, that made me $10,000 on the side. Mm-hmm. So I created a Facebook group. And then in the Facebook group, I decided to teach people how to run a business and to run an online business. And I taught them the concept of a minimal viable product, an MVP. Mm-hmm. And then the MVP that I had to use a fake idea, a mock-up, right? So the mock-up was, I said, okay, so for example, if Rebecca and I start a business, Okay, and then we call it uh, maybe Lito lah, because it's just an acronym from my surname and her surname because she's a toe and I'm a limb. So Lito, okay, and then it means light, put out the light. So I said, let's just uh, create a new business by fusing our strengths together. Then I said, you don't have to actually have an offering. All you need to do is have a landing page and then you kind of tell people what you offer and you see if people respond to that kind of uh, offering. Mm. So this is how you litmus test and beta test your, your product idea or your service idea. So that was actually just an example, but it then became a real business now. Though. So I'm really started and we've done shoots already. We're getting uh, projects. Uh, and the reason why I thought that this is a great idea is because uh, in my years of creating websites for people, a lot of clients, when you ask them to hand over their assets, which is the content, the writing and the pictures, two things happen. Either they hand you stuff that is very substandard, very ugly, and then it impacts my work. Yeah. Or... Um, they disappear <laughs> because they don't have they don't know how to write they don't know then I no, no photos yeah. so I said okay why don't we pr- 
come up with something that solves all this. Again, it's an intersection. So you can find us at litolabs.com. L-I-T-O-L-A-B-S.com. I'm sure you will share it yeah, with yeah, your page I'll and stuff like that. So that's where people can find me. Yes. yes. All right. Yeah. Yay. I look forward to connecting with all of you. If there's anything you think that I can remotely help you with, uh, I like to meet people. And thank you for this opportunity, thank Brian. You. I think this, he's a new friend. <laughs> and I think this is what happens when you um, open up your heart. And then um, the thing is I had to... Uh, X off a lot of my old friends as well while mm. I was going through my um, recovery and my change in my life. I have to rewire myself. So my social circle also changed because I decided to drop certain toxic friends because they were kind of fueling my old patterns of behavior that I didn't like and I want to move away from. Mm. But what happens is that then new people come into your life the new energy and the new values that you amplify right now will attract the right people to come in your life. And that's how I met Brian, another kindred spirit. <laughs> and that's what happens. And I think there are a lot of fragmented people, all like us, all over. And it can feel a bit lonely when you feel like, oh my God, I'm a bit weird, you know? Why am I an unconventionalist? Why do I feel like a misfit? I think this is what this whole program is about. So you feel like I'm weird. But actually not. I think a lot of people out there who are similar, you just need to find the tribe. Uh, and then uh, hopefully uh, we will all, um, you know, support one another. And I wish you every success and happiness and fulfillment. Uh, yes. Thank you so much for this Thank opportunity. You. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's up, people? It's over. As usually, as usual, as usually. <laughs> all show notes, links, books can be found on the website, brianvictor.com. And if you have any misfits you'd like to hear, from feel free to drop me an email thank you again for taking your time to listen to this podcast have a fantastic week ahead